Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face episode 83 on your Easter weekend. Hope all you guys are having an extra day off for this weekend and you're enjoying it playing some games and of course, watching us. We got a big show this week. We're going to talk about the big Nintendo Direct that happened this week. And fresh off the uh, live stream press, we're going to talk about the new revelations from Battlefront 2, Star Wars. And at long last, I finally got my wish. There's a brand new 3D platformer from some former Rare guys, Ukulele. We're going to talk about Did it. make that wish on a monkey's paw? <laughs> We're going to talk about it in today's show. Let's go! Happy Easter, everyone. I know it's not quite Easter, but I'm guessing the majority of the people who will watch this episode... We'll watch the archive, and by the time they see it, it will be Easter. Yeah. So it's almost Easter in most of the world. It is, yeah, if not and already if you're in the Asian side of things. Yeah, I guess it? you're right. Actually, they are. I don't even know if they celebrate Easter in Asia. Probably not because yeah. it's a religious holiday. There's Christians over there. Yeah. Well, they do celebrate Christmas in yeah. Asian well, countries, I mean, and that's do, a religious. You don't holiday. need to, to be a Christian to to like chocolate rabbits. That's true. <laughs> Hopefully, you guys all got a big Easter basket full of chocolate and other goodies. And hopefully you don't finish it by the time the weekend is up. I know it's easy, especially if you're playing games, you just sit there and pop snacks. So we're ready to go. We have a big show. Actually, we have a ton of topics on today's show. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can get through them all in our three-hour time limit that we seem to have set for ourselves. Hmm. We'll do our best. But uh, we should get going because, like I said, we have a lot of topics to get, get to before we're all done. Uh, Matt, the Nintendo Direct happened this week. Initially, it was kind of marketed as... Something for Splatoon 2 and ARMS. It ended up being far more than that. I was blown away by the Direct. Maybe it was one of those cases where my expectations were lowered so much that when I actually got what, what they were giving us, I was kind of taken aback by it. Mm -hmm. um, what were your overall impressions of, uh, of the Direct before we kind of move into the more granular discussion? Uh, that was a lot of 3DS stuff. A lot of 3DS. Wow. That was, that was way more 3DS than I would have expected a post-Switch launch Direct to contain. Um, I was kind of expecting it to be like a big arm segment and a big Splatoon segment, and it really wasn't. I mean, there was a big arm segment. Yeah. And a decent-sized Splatoon segment, but there was a lot of little things. Um, a, lot of, a lot of 3DS stuff. Uh, clearly, they are not, you know, stepping away from that platform anytime soon. Well, one thing I would say about the 3DS stuff that was in the Direct is that all the games that were in it were games that were already announced. Mm -hmm. So they didn't announce anything new. Um, other than Metopia coming to the West, but mm -hmm. we knew about that game already, which is basically just this more elaborate version of Find Me, which I'm totally cool with. Glad to hear that's coming. But otherwise, it was all games that we knew were coming to the West, games that were already announced, nothing new. Um, I'm assuming if there are any new 3DS games in the pipeline, we'll be getting that at E3. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm right there with you. I was really shocked that they d dedicated so much time to the 3DS um, when the Switch has just launched and people are really looking kind of for new Switch software and things like that. So uh, I think probably if you looked at the runtime of the Direct, it was probably split in half. About that, probably yeah. about half 3DS, half, half Switch, um, which again, I was pretty surprised about. So let's, let's start talking specifically about some of the games that they showed. And we're not going to talk about all of them because there were literally like 20 plus games yeah. in that Direct. Uh, let's talk about ARMS first. Mm -hmm. um, ARMS seems to be... This game that's uh, not tra it doesn't tra it's not tracking especially well on Sifted. Um, 
you know, it's a Nintendo first party game, so mm-hmm. it's always going to get sort of that organic interest from the Nintendo fans, but it doesn't seem to be reaching out anywhere beyond that. Matt, now that we've seen this, it's like an eight-minute presentation that they did with some of the worst uh, narration I think I've ever heard in my yeah, life. Was that, I wasn't clear. Is that narration added for this, or is that guy that narration going to be part of the game? I can't tell. I really hope he's not part of the game. Um, but I'm thinking it might be, because what you can't see, our graphics are covering it up, but in the bottom left yeah, of like the in screen the there, there, there's this little like yellow robotish guy that... He uh, yeah. seems to be the narrator of the yeah, game. Yeah, I, I felt like if he was not part of the game, he'd be animated better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I couldn't tell if that was, like, added for the for the presentation or if that's you're going to have, like, an announcer during this. Yeah, I hope not, because the voiceover for this thing that Nintendo put out was terrible. Like, it was literally, like, so annoying I almost turned down the volume on it. So... I hope that's not the case, but let's talk about the game proper, Matt. What I think one thing that Nintendo tried to focus on with this particular presentation was the depth that it has. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it succeeded? Um, well, not for me. I don't. I don't find. I have. There's nothing interesting about this game to me at all. Really, nothing. No. Wow. I don't. I don't like. I mean, I don't. I like that how clean the art is, but I don't like the art. If that makes any sense. No. Yeah. Like, I can. I can understand that. Um. It looks I, like it's trying to look like Overwatch. I mean, let's bit, be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very character action driven and everybody's got their own moves. So they're, they're more differentiated than I would have expected. But like, I still get weird flashbacks of Ready to Rumble boxing from it. Um, and it just, you know. Which it's, was it's, not it's, a good game. No. And it's very, it's very based around the, the you know, the waggle thing. Um, even though I know you can play it with the standard controller. But it's just, the other problem is like, gauging like linear distance in 3D games is very difficult even under the best of circumstances, I can just see this being a matter of just, like, you know, the precision not quite there, and you're sort of having to guess or learn the timing of all these things, and it's just not something I'm interested in. I feel like I played, like, two rounds of this and never touch it again. Well, especially what you're seeing right there in that footage with the curved shots. Yeah. Like, it's the hard enough shot to place to be a straight like a, shot. Yeah, the curved shots seem to be, like, the key to, like, kind of the basic strategy of this game, to get around defenses and to get around obstacles and um yeah there doesn't appear to be any lock-on in the game at all no i mean unless they're like they, they seem to kind of always face each other yeah but i don't think there's a lock-on for your your uh your, your targeting actual, your actual attacks and there's a little interesting things happening there, like they just showed there like when she's when that character's in the air she can she'll kick away um attacks that come near so she's got kind of a mid-air counter yeah um and they I all just, have a counter, some yeah, form of counter. I just don't see this quite catching on in the way they seem to want it to catch on. I mean, I guess there's... I mean, I don't know. I've seen people like trying to claim that this is like the next esports phenomenon. And it's like, I don't see this... You know, I, I, I guess it's possible this could kind of... Like you said earlier before the show, this could get kind of like a Rocket League like boost somehow just by being like an accessible and, and visually easy to, to, to read sort of competition game, but, like, I'm skeptical because while that did happen with the Rocket League, part of Rocket League's appeal was, A, it was free on PS Plus when free it first came huge, out. Yeah. And also, it's on everything. Like, you have a platform that runs Rocket League, whereas this, you're going to have to buy a Switch for it. And even if even if you believe a lot of people would want a Switch for this, uh, they're going to have to find a Switch. That would be hard to believe that somebody would buy a Switch just for this game. But, it, I mean, look, I was wrong about Rocket League because, and I mentioned this before the show when we were talking off-air... I compared it to other sports games, and Mm -hmm. I said, man, this thing is completely bereft of modes and options. It's very simple. Um, I didn't feel like the gameplay was precise enough to sort of engender intense competitive play, 
And I ended up being wrong. I mean, mm. I, again, what you said, it being free was a huge thing. It got everybody on board. And having a community for games like this is important. Um, if you play a game and you see nobody's playing and it's hard, it takes a long time to get a game, it will turn you off from playing the game. Rocket League, because they gave it away free right out of the gate, it built its community right out of, the, right out of that gate. And now, I mean, we just saw this week that its retail version sold a million copies. Mm. So it is certainly, it helped build that initial snowball that helped it roll downhill. And you're right, for that snowball to build for ARMS, every single player's got to invest $60 in it. And at least from what I can tell, it seems to be a full price game. It may be, it may be less. Um, what struck me, though, and what kind of hit me whenever I was watching this, is that ARMS is a fighting game where you have just a couple moves. Mm. Isn't that really, if you look at it at the base level, isn't that really what it is? Somewhat. Because I mean, you have the two arms, and you can mix and match them, and it, each arm sort of has, like, multiple abilities. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, like, you know, like, let's say, let's take Street Fighter 2, uh, Ken and Ryu have three moves. You know, they have a fireball, they have a hurricane kick, they have the, the special punch, moves. special moves. And then they have the six, uh, you know, three punches, three kicks, and various, you know, various forms uh, that permutations that are useful in different situations. Based right, on how but close there's, you are, there's high, low, or medium, right. and... The thing about the thing as a fighting game person that like, I look at this and it and it like kind of warns me off is that I feel like a whole lot of this game is in terms of like fighting your opponent is going to be about whether you can manipulate the controls properly to hit them rather than can they avoid your attacks. Like I feel like the mind games here are more you against yourself than you against the opponent at least early on and that's not an interesting competition to me. I just wonder if if this game is played by people who, and I, I probably should have watched some YouTube videos of people playing it at events and, and, and whatnot, but I'm wondering if when it's just the layman playing this game, if it isn't just a button masher, so oh, to speak. Oh, for sure. Where I the mean, arms, all fighting games are Where the arms degree. are just flailing. I mean, I would disagree with that. I mean, I think the better fighters are the better fighters because they're not button mashers. I mean, I would never call Virtua Fighter a button masher. Right, but if you're someone who doesn't know what they're doing, is going to button mash that game. Yeah. That's, 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 a, that's the basic fighting And they game. will lose miserably. Well, yes. <laughs> That's but usually how you can tell is, when one of them is a good game. Or my not. point is, though, I don't know if anyone's going to get to the point, though, where this game isn't that way. I'm sure they will, but, like, it won't be the majority, and it won't be, you know... Maybe that should have been the better way to put it. Brothers I wonder and, if the, it, won't, it won't be like brothers and sisters playing against each other, and it's not going to be like Rocket League where you go into a game and you'll probably see at least two people that really know what they're doing, Yeah, these, at least these days. I'm wondering, too, if people who play with just a traditional pad... Um, will have an advantage over the people who focus on the motion controls or vice versa. Uh, uh, this week, I don't know if you saw or not, but Microsoft just okayed Gears of War 4 ranked play Xbox One versus PC players. So we're kind of starting to see that that fence be broken down in between control schemes, so mm. to speak. And there's been a lot of discussion about Overwatch and playing as people on PC versus console players. And uh, this kind of creates that wall organically with the way the game is designed. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I will first say I am actually more excited for ARMS now than I was before the presentation. Uh, because it, to me, it showed more depth than I thought it had at first. Mm -hmm. I still don't think it's great. And I think if you just compare it, kind of like how I compared Rocket League to like NBA 2K, I feel like if you compare ARMS to a more traditional fighting game, it's probably gonna come up short in a lot of ways, whether it's modes or just the depth of the gameplay. Um, but Again, I was wrong with Rocket League. I didn't think it would become as big as it did. And uh, 
I have a feeling this might be a minor hit. I don't know if it'll quite hit Splatoon levels like Splatoon did with the Wii U. Yeah, I don't see this having the wide appeal that Splatoon did with the Nintendo fan base, especially with Splatoon 2 coming on the heels of it so soon. I mean, I thought Splatoon looked crazy. I still think it looks crazy. Like, I don't really like the character models or the art in the game. I obviously recognize that the gameplay is completely unique and unlike any other shooter out there. Um, I'd rather look at Splatoon than this, art style-wise. Yeah. I just don't... I just, for whatever reason, this just does not appeal to me. Well, it's coming out June 16th. Mm -hmm. um, and it's co coming out along with it is a brand new Joy-Con color. And mm -hmm. Sam, I think we have the image there. Um, puke yellow. <laughs> Neon yellow is what they're calling it. <laughs> I don't know why that image isn't filling up the whole screen, but... Uh, there you go. But um, Neon yellow... Yeah. Why, why does Nintendo seem to be going for these uh, crazy eye-searing colors with, with Switch? Guess what the kids are into, man. Is it? Are the know. kids into neon? <laughs> I don't know. That looks like the stuff you'd release if this came at, like, 92. Right, yeah. Um, combine all the Joy-Con colors, you got a decent pair of shorts. <laughs> I can't see myself trading in my grays for these... Uh, no, it's, they, haven't hit the, uh, they haven't hit the color combination to make me jump off the gray yet. Yep, and then in addition to that, when they announced the new color, they also announced a battery pack life extender for the Joy-Cons, which I don't get at all. Because they seem to last quite forever. a Forever. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had the Joy-Cons run out of battery. No. Like, by the time I'm done playing and I, and I redock my Switch, they're still good. Yeah, I feel like and, the Switch is going to run out of battery long yeah, oh, before the Oh, way before the Joy-Cons. Yeah, so I'm surprised that, they put, that they're going to put this out on, the, on June 16th as well. Um, instead of an official licensed battery pack for the Switch itself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, the conspiracy people are already saying, like, oh, that's the fix for the... The left Joy-Con problem, and they're just not telling anybody. What's the fix? I don't know. Some, oh, the, some magic, something in the battery. Some pack? magical thing in the battery pack that fixes it that they're never going to tell anybody about. Oh, by the which way, doesn't make any damn sense, but people are already saying it. By the way, I should mention that I finally got my replacement left Joy-Con, um, and it didn't change anything. <laughs> I cannot play Switch in my apartment. I just can't. It doesn't wow. matter whether I'm in the living room. Or in the back bedroom, it doesn't matter. My left Joy-Con, and actually now the right one's almost just as bad as the left. Like, it just does not work in my apartment. I have no idea. I'm at my wit's end. I have no idea what it is, what's causing it. Hmm. It's completely mind-boggling. Once I got the new one and it didn't work, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, what the hell? Why am I, I the only person in the world with this problem? I don't get it. You're at a loss for words, too. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I just manufacture them because mine's flawless. It makes, yeah. me, it makes me want to try mine at your house. Well, no, remember, I brought mine in here, and, and it, it worked, worked fine. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know if, like... You, you live under an antenna or something? No, and there's, <laughs> no, like, there's a cell phone tower, like, two or three blocks away from where I live. Like, I can't see where that... I just... No. I, don't, I don't get it. I, don't, I, I would be curious if anybody else is having this problem. Um, at first, like, my right Joy-Con worked always, and the left would drop in and out. Now that I got the new left one, neither one of them seemed to work. Hmm. And I'm sitting eight feet away from the console. I've put the console on the floor. I've put it up high. I've put it right in front of my TV. doesn't make any difference. I, I don't know. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Splatoon 2. Um, they, they, it, Nintendo showed off a brand new mode for Splatoon 2. Um, it is called the Salmon Run. 
Mm. It's a co-op mode. Yeah, it's like a horde mode. It's a horde mode, yeah, for Splatoon. That makes, that incorporates the other elements of Splatoon, which is putting the ink on the ground and Mm -hmm. it affects movement and all that. It actually looks a little bit more like a tower defense mode than a horde mode. Because mm. it seems like the enemies just kind of march in a row on a predetermined path. I think they looked like they were a little more broken up later in the segment here. But, um... um you're trying to, basically, you're killing them and collecting their eggs. Yeah. Matt, do you think it was a better idea to show this? Or do you think we should have seen, like, the campaign mode? Because isn't that really, like, the big hang-up everybody had with the first Splatoon? Sort of. I mean, it's it's any anything that shows that it has different content from the first one is probably a good move um so this this seems fine i'm sure uh and this is probably also a good idea because um you know if there's people that aren't that like the splatoon thing but aren't super into the competitive nature of That's it true, and yeah. give them like the you know assurance that you can play something with your friends or that doesn't make you go online and play against like people that are like way better than you um that's a more appealing thing i think i think you know you could go on either or it's kind of a coin flip in my book but like i don't think this was the wrong thing to show at all yeah, I mean, the other the other point I could make is that the release date for Splatoon 2 was announced, and it's mm. late July. Yeah. July 21st, I think it was? 20... Or 29th, maybe. No, I want to say 24th. Boy, we're, we're all over sure. the map. It's, I know it's late 20s. July. So there's plenty of time for Nintendo to blow this out, as well as at E3. Yeah, it'll be, an, it'll be a big at E3. This and ARMS, I expect, to be the big E3. Like, Well, ARMS will be coming out, like, right around E3. Yeah, but, like, right which after Which is E3. always weird, when yeah. games are... Release right when the biggest show in the world is coming out. But I, I, you know, it's it, a good way to bury the lead, so to speak. True, but I mean, I think this and Arms will be the thing they focus on with uh, Mario Odyssey, probably like you know the big new thing. And Retro's new Metroid game. <laughs> Keep hope alive. <laughs> Keep trying. Uh, but I think this does look fun. I'll say that much. Uh, Salmon Run. I think it looks like a good time, and it, it it's a unique take on Horde mode, which is mm-hmm. really hard. To find these days, we just saw with Mass Effect Andromeda came out. It had a horde mode. Um, it ended up being pretty much like every other horde mode out there. Even Gears 4, its horde mode wasn't especially uh, unique or creative. So it's good to see Nintendo kind of working the tools that it has mm-hmm. uh, at its disposal at its disposal with this franchise into something that's familiar yet still foreign. Uh, so I'm pretty excited for that. I thought it had a good showing. Uh, let's get back to the 3DS stuff really quickly and get a little more specific. We're not going to talk about everything, obviously. Um, probably the biggest game was Hey Pikmin, mm-hmm. which before it was just called Pikmin for the Nintendo 3DS. They finally gave it a name. Uh, dedicated a good bit of time to that game right off the top. In fact, it was the first game that they showed in the entire Direct. Uh, how do you feel about a side-scrolling Pikmin, Matt? You think it's going to work? Yeah, I'm sure it'll work, but I'm probably not going to play it. Yeah. I'll say one thing, too, is that I... W- this... Might get the Amiibo, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> I'll say one thing about Nintendo and the 3DS is that I feel like with the 3DS, I've lost a little bit of faith in Nintendo First Party because there was a point in my life where pretty much I felt like almost anything Nintendo put out was going to be high quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've seen with the 3DS, Nintendo has been willing to put out software that hasn't quite been up to that to that level. Like, uh, for instance, Mario Sports Superstars. That game was not sent out for review, which is something I've never, ever heard Nintendo doing. Hmm. Ever. I mean, if you look, the game's been out. There's, like, two reviews for it on Sifted at this point. Normally, by now, we'd have, like, ten. Um, so that game was not sent out. Uh, a lot of it's, like, Pokemon Rumble World games. Mm. A lot of the Mario and Donkey Kong games have been kind of, eh. And so I don't have that blind faith in Nintendo's handheld software anymore that I used mm. to have. 
Um, and so that makes me a little nervous with pretty much any game that it debuts on 3DS now. Um, and right now we're just seeing like a the, this is the rest of the 3DS stuff. Yeah, this is all the Monster 3DS Hunter. stuff they showed at the at the direct. Uh, one of the other big focuses for Nintendo because it is the 20th anniversary of Kirby. 25th. 25th. So this, the rest of this year, Kirby's a huge focus for Nintendo. They it announced three brand new mm -hmm. Kirby games because they like Kirby way more than they like Samus. Apparently, yeah, <laughs> and I guess maybe. The numbers bear that out. Maybe people like Kirby better than Samus. I don't know. Mm. Um, obviously, the mass Metroid for 3DS was just like a blip on the radar and gone in the, in the flash of an eye. And rightfully so. Wasn't can't, a yeah, good, can't imagine why. It, was, it wasn't a good... Again, there's another example of 3DS software where I'm losing my faith in Nintendo's quality, so to speak. Um, Kirby, there, But all the Kirby games that they announced are basically eShop games. They're mm. not full-price release games. You're going to be able to download them only. Um, this one is, is basically the sequel to Kirby's Rumble World. Um, it's supposed to have more stages, uh, more enemies. It's supposed to be a little bit longer than the first one. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is Team Kirby... I can't remember the rest of the title. It's a terrible title. But it's a cooperative online, almost like an action RPG a little bit, where mm -hmm. four people play at once, and there's character classes. Yeah, we're seeing it right now. And there are character classes... That you play. So there's like a healer, and there's like the tank, mm -hmm. and then there's the ranged character, and then you cooperatively play through what a lot of people would probably consider typical Kirby stages. That, to me, has a lot more appeal than what we're seeing right now. Um, I like that idea. And yeah. it's also an eShop game that you'll be able to download only. Um, I'm not a big Kirby fan, to be honest. Like, his anniversary doesn't mean that much to me. Yeah, I like the original game on Game Boy. Yeah. And uh, I liked... Beating him up in Smash Brothers, and that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> the crazy thing is that character in particular has the most latitude, probably of any Nintendo character, mm -hmm. because he can turn into anything. He's got a lot of variety in his. I in mean, the whatever series. he eats, he can become. So basically, the sky's the limit as far as what you can do with that character. And for whatever reason, it's just never resonated with me. Probably because he's just a pink circle. Maybe that has something to do with it. He's just a pink globe. I didn't have a lot of personality. It's like, we'll put a hat on him, and now he's like construction worker yeah. Kirby. Like, it's a funny Man way to a thousand faces. Yeah. Um, so that that was uh, another big thrust was for Kirby's anniversary. And there's, another, there's a third game coming for 3DS that they only mentioned that they didn't say the title of. It's coming uh, Q4 this year. Mm -hmm. Three Kirby games in one year for the 3DS. Matthew, you think after seeing all this... We've gotten three Metroid games in, what, 11 years? Yeah, yeah. Bite me. Lots of Japanese stuff, too. Called Sep Revolt. Uh, of the Monster Hunter kind of... Monster Hunter stories. Story thing, which tanked yeah. in Japan, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. It had Monster Hunter in the title, and it still tanked in Japan. That's not good. Well, they know what they want. Yeah. And they ain't that. Yeah. Uh, several JRPGs. Ever Oasis was shown again. Mm -hmm. um, that game looks great to me. Uh, the more I see it, the more I'm into it. Um, but it's a JRPG... Uh, it looks like if you own a 3DS, you're good for the rest of the year. Like, yeah. You're going to have a steady stream of software until the end of the year, and then the question becomes, what happens then? Um, Probably more software, yeah. it looks like. Here's Yokai Watch 2. That's coming to the West. I'm sure Yokai Watch 3 is already out in Japan. I'm sure that'll make its mm. way over eventually as well. Um, and then the question becomes, like I said, do all these people who have been working on these games move over and start making Switch games? I think that's going to depend on how many Switches have been sold by then. Yeah, because look, it, one thing that was encouraging about this to me was that they didn't announce any new 3DS games. Mm -hmm. That it was all stuff that we knew about, stuff that's already been out in Japan, things that were already announced. Um, if they've shown like five or ten brand new 3DS games and just shown 
trailers for them, like, hey, we're just getting started on this, I think I'd be a little nervous. But mm. these projects were already in the works. This no, this is, is just, an RPG maker. Yeah. Fez. Fez, yeah. And they're just finishing up, basically, projects that were already in development yeah. before the Switch even came out. So I was a little encouraged by that. Um, they showed new Sonic gameplay, which we didn't mention. The first side-scrolling gameplay from Sonic uh, mm-hmm. Forces. Looks cool. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it just looks like Sonic Generations, yeah. doesn't it? Well, yeah, right down to the, the oh, there's another Sonic. Yeah. The old-school Sonic. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, and they're introducing a new, uh, a new character that we'll they'll reveal later. And it's like, that's, that's uh, as, the, as the meme goes, Sonic and his shitty friends. Um, we <laughs> haven't, hear ha- that. We haven't had a new shitty friend in a long time. So, so wait, they're going to introduce a new shitty friend? Uh, that, that seemed to be the indication at the end of this trailer. Aren't there enough already? Apparently not. <laughs> like, for a long time, they kind of paired it back to just Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, and Amy. Right. Um, and uh, now I guess they're feeling confident enough to uh, branch out with somebody else. Although I wonder if it's like... The 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 sh- it's got like a silhouette shot at the end of the trailer or something. And this is um, actually a different trailer. Different trailer. Yeah. At the end of the trailer is like a silhouette shot. It's like oh, coming soon or whatever. And um, shadow. Kind of no, it kind of looked like it had like fox ears or cat ears. So I'm kind of wondering if like because there's the whole generations angle, if it's like, is the main bad guy like an alternate dimension evil version of Tails? Oh, because that would be kind of awesome. That's possible. Like like a Tails, it's just like brutally angry that his Sonic, like, neglected him and thought he was, like, a, a loser or, like, a sidekick <laughs> or something and decided to, like, take over his world. Yeah. I'm like, that'd be kind of great. Like a, like a cyborg, like, like totalitarian, like, tales. I'd be into that. It's very hard for me to be optimistic about any Sonic game at this point. Yeah, well, I'm more interested in Sonic Mania. Yeah. Um, but, at least, also showed. but at least Sonic Forces looks better than Sonic Boom. So I'll give it that. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. Sonic Boom was... There's been a lot of bad Sonic. Not games. tops. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Sonic Boom is, I think, one of the one of the lowest points. I mean, not like 2006 low, but you know, like they had the terrible bugs and the weird jumping glitch where you could jump forever, right? And like all, I mean, it was, it was a it was a bad game that was also a rushed game that was also an unfinished game. Oh, like, I like remember being at E3 that year. And uh, I was walking into the Nintendo booth. You know how they have like the third party stuff like around the edge of Nintendo's yeah. booth. And, uh, so it doesn't touch all the glorious Nintendo stuff in the middle. Yeah. And I walked, stepped into the booth space, and I look over, and there was a PR guy that we've known for, like, ever. And I go, hey, what's going on? He's like, oh, Shane, good to see you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what's up? We, you know, small talk for a little bit. He's repping mm-hmm. that game. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, I want to play it. And he's like, you do? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, look, I've, I had known him for, like, 15 years, and he knows he can, like, shoot straight with me, and, and he knew I wasn't going to ride out and, like, say, oh, the PR rep from Sega, like, said, why would you like it? But, yeah, he was just totally honest, and I started playing, and I could totally see what he's talking about. Like, he looked bored out of his mind, like, nobody's playing the game, like, all day, so. It's funny, I've, I have a few stories like that about PR reps, even the ones I don't know doing yeah. stuff like that, and they're all Sega. <laughs> well, I wanna, I'd be like, oh, I want to see this thing, like, really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> One of them did that to me with uh, uh, Nightshade. Oh, really? The sequel to Shinobi. I was like, I want to see Nightshade. Uh, this is actually, I think, at TGS. Uh-huh. And the guy was like, really? <laughs> and I was like, I think that might have been more like I'm an American. And he was surprised right, right. I cared about this, like... This Obscure game. Japanese yeah. game. But, like, yeah. um, 
Yeah, it's funny. Like Sega always seems a little surprised that you care. Yeah. Well, you know they used to have an internal PR team, yeah. and they got rid of that yeah. to cut costs or whatever. And now they're just sort of bringing in agencies to do their PR for them. So, hype for Nintendo products rise or fall after that direct? Eh, about even. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing there we didn't know about. There's nothing there I didn't expect. I think it was uh, reassuring in some ways for maybe people mm. who. I mean, uh, at least everything's coming out on time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think in that regard, like it looks like all the Switch stuff is on target to hit its date. No Mario yet, but obviously it's probably. Oh, yeah, time we didn't, for that. I don't think we expected. That. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I didn't expect most of the stuff that we saw on that thing. But it's good to see that the early Switch software, the launch window software, is kind of coming in where mm-hmm. we kind of anticipated. I think more importantly, it's good for the 40 million people who own a 3DS to see that the system's not just going to be neglected, and they can kind of have that easing out process with the 3DS as maybe they switch over to the Switch, so to speak. So. Good job, Nintendo. As one of the better directs I can remember in recent memory, full of content, relevant content. Uh, the only thing missing really was any reveals or any kind of new information other than that first uh, look at side-scrolling Sonic Forces. So mm. let's move on. Next, we're going to talk about an indie game I've been playing for the last couple days called Mr. Shifty. <laughs> Matt, are you a fan of Hotline Miami? Uh, not especially. What, what were your big criticisms with it? Why did you not like it? Um... I'm not a huge top-down person, and uh, you know they had the constant sort of like open door, do wrong thing, kill, get killed, immediately start over. Yeah. Um, and while you know it's designed for that to be part of the gameplay, I just didn't find that, you know I didn't I don't find that particularly compelling. Um, I like the themes, I like the the music a lot. I like music the, was great. Uh, one of the best gaming sound. I think one of the best game soundtracks of the last like mm-hmm. decade. Yeah. And uh, but it's just it. I didn't find it particularly engaging to play. I'm, I'm not, just because of the. Not a top-down guy. Did you so like much. the original GTAs back in the no. day? Yeah, I tried. I really I, I tried. I tried too. I, wa- I wanted to like it. I just. Really I mean, Hotline Miami it. makes more sense than that because GTA. The problem with GTA top-down is like you can't see where you're freaking driving. Right. It's like, well, that's not fun. Yeah. And uh, um, and we'll get we'll we'll get to uh, talking about not being shown what you're trying to do uh, later in the show. Yeah, as for well. sure. Um, but no, I mean it was it was it's fine. I appreciate the ultra violence and the and the theme and the setting and everything. But it just it, I just sort of bounced off the gameplay. Yeah, well, if you don't like Hotline Miami, you're not gonna like. The, I cannot say that Hotline Miami. I keep splurging it all together. But if you don't like that game, you're not gonna like Mr. Mm-hmm. Shifty, um, because what the best way I would describe it in a sentence or as a tagline would be Hotline Miami minus the style. Mm. It's, uh, Hotline Miami is all style. Right. And so strip all that away, which I'm guessing was um, probably one of the few redeeming factors that you found in Hotline yeah. Miami. Clearly I am not a Mr. Shifty advocate yeah. then. Mr. Shifty is all melee based. So at the beginning of the game, all you have is your fists. And then after you get to like the second or third stage, you start being able to pick up items like two by fours and uh, sculptures and things like that that you can throw or you can use as melee uh, but their break rate is even worse than, like, Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Like, you literally whack, like, two enemies with it, and mm-hmm. uh, and they uh, and it breaks, and you have to go back to using your fists. But it's very much like um, Hotline Miami. It's like you need to survey each room uh, before you go into it. And uh, can we get some of the footage rolling, Sam? So they can see what I'm talking about? Is there... No, Mr. Shifty. The next Twitch. Oh, must have been deleted. Um, but it's very much the same where you have to, and they let you do it. Like, the the right stick controls the camera, so you can scan up and down 
and look at like the next room that you go into. But a big part of it is kind of stopping and looking at the room, looking at the enemy placement, and then trying to figure out how you can attack each room. Or at least that's how I thought it was at first. <laughs> what I eventually discovered playing this game is that there's basically the, its its unique mechanic is the ability to teleport. So you can you can see right there, you can teleport through walls. Um, pretty much any wall in the game that you want to. And what I discovered was that... Somebody really liked the opening scene of X-Men 2. Yeah. Um, and what I eventually discovered was that if you teleport quickly enough, basically what you can do is you teleport, land two punches, which is enough to kill a lot of the enemies, and then teleport again. And it just turned into kind of this rhythm. Teleport, punch, punch. Teleport, punch, punch. And as long as you do that, the enemies will never have enough time to shoot you. Because what they do is they pull their guns. And you, get, you have like one hit, you're dead. One hit, you're dead. And so they pull their guns and you hear an audio cue. It'll be like, yee. And then within a second, you have to move or they'll shoot you. But what I found is if you punch twice, teleport, punch twice, teleport, they never have enough time to scope you up and shoot you. Um, I think my biggest issue with this is that it just really has no style whatsoever. It's like the most generic sort of framework for the gameplay. The gameplay, mm. I think, is okay. Um, it's not especially deep, but I feel like they do a good job with the limited mechanics that they give you. But it just has no no sort of frivolities to it, no sort of framing that makes it compelling. Uh, the writing in it is just typical blah, blah, blather. Like, the story doesn't really matter. There aren't any cutscenes. The game starts, there's no cutscene. Hmm. It just starts, and there you are. Like, the wall blows up, and you come into the first building that you're infiltrating. Um, story pretty much irrelevant um i played this on xbox one you really hate blonde guys yeah <laughs> i played and see the other thing too is the ai of the enemies is really dumb so you can kind of manipulate them with the walls like you just work through a wall and then they'll start tracking to go around another way to get into the room and you just wait by the doorway and wait for them to come in and you hit them hmm. and there are cool little nuance like there where you can kind of kick the door into them and it'll kill them um so there's sort of little things that you can do in the game that I don't know if it adds any depth, but it makes it a little more exciting to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I don't know that I would recommend this game. I would probably recommend getting Hotline Miami for much cheaper. Um, yeah. the, one, the soundtrack is worth paying for. Yeah, you can probably get Hotline some. Miami 1 and 2 for the price of this. Probably, yeah. Um, and I played the Xbox One version, which is what this footage is from. And then they also sent me a code of the Switch version. Um, in the Switch version, I only played for a couple stages just, just to see how it runs. And there is slowdown in the Switch version. <laughs> there is slowdown. I mean, you can count the polygons that this game is displaying at a time. And there's slowdown in the Switch version. And I hope that's not sort of a harbinger of things to come for that platform. Um, but I think it's, this is selling for $15. No way would I ever pay $15 for this game. It does get really monotonous. Um, I don't know how far I have not finished the game. But I played it for a few hours and feel like I'm near the end or pretty close to the end, uh, just kind of based upon the way they're kind of they had handed out sort of new abilities and things mm-hmm. up until that point. Um, I would wait till this game drops to at least like ten dollars and probably more like five dollars. I'm thinking. Um, and, I, and if you had the choice, I would not get the Switch version because, like I said, it has slowdown, which I, I just still can't really comprehend. I am guessing that this port, the port for the Switch, was quick and dirty. Yeah. Um, in fact, probably quick as in like six months mm-hmm. quick. Uh, and that is kind of the danger of the fact that the Switch is so 
easy to develop for, right? Is that these indie guys can be like, I got it up and running. And then they're like, oh, that's good enough. And maybe try to get it to market because everyone's playing catch up with Switch software with the other versions right right now. Like mm-hmm. we're seeing it with Ukulele, for instance. Like it's supposed to come out for Wii U, they canceled it. Now the Switch version, they're saying it'll come out to like the end of the year. So I could see some of these indie developers yeah. wanting to get their their Switch versions out day and date. Just looking at the at the footage, it really does lack the dynamic element of Hotline Miami. Oh yeah, there's no there's no doubt about it. Like this was the first boss fight right here, and the boss fight was basically just kill 50 guys instead of two guys hmm. but it's very easy to manipulate the ai and kind of just school them in a lot of ways and i i felt the challenge was more of just the fact that it's one hit and you're dead mm. and it wasn't that the develop, developers were creative in sort of sculpting that difficulty so mr shifty i recommend it for five bucks <laughs> wait for the steam sale yeah probably wait until it's bundled in together uh, the reviews, I feel like you'll start to see these. Uh, this game in like a humble bundle by the end of the year. Yeah, probably so. Uh, the reviews have been all over the place. Um, probably half the people agree with me that it's not worth the money they're asking for. For it's kind of cool, has its moments. Uh, but then there are some people who are all over this game. Like Eurogamer gave it a recommended rating, uh, which is pretty rare. I mean, Eurogamer probably gives out two or three recommended ratings per month, mm-hmm. uh, and this got it from Eurogamer. So. Maybe they're seeing something I'm not seeing. Uh, like I said, I've played it for several hours, and it just wasn't really clicking with for me. It was one of those games where I was playing it, and I'm like, do I really need to be spending my time playing this game? I guess that's maybe the best way I could just sum up the whole thing. So, Mr. Shifty. Do, do not shift <laughs> money out of your wallet for Mr. Shifty. Let's move on. We're going to talk next about Germany. Naturally. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you think about it. And you talk about... Countries other than the United States that we've talked about on Game Face, what country have we probably talked about more than any other? Probably Germany. Probably, other it's than like, Japan. It's really Germany, Japan, and Australia. Yeah. Yeah, Australia we talked about a couple weeks ago yeah. on the show. Uh, Germany, usually for all the wrong reasons. And, and once again, we're talking about Germany for all the wrong reasons. Land of the green blood. Yeah. So uh, basically, Germany's government has decided that if you're going to be a Twitch streamer or a YouTube streamer or any kind of a streamer whatsoever, you have to pay money for a license, to be for a broadcast license, basically. Mm-hmm. And those licenses scale. Some of them cost a thousand euro up to ten thousand euro. And... Is this crazy? Isn't this crazy? I, I feel like I feel like maybe the German <laughs> legislators don't know how much money a YouTube streamer makes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, even the German government said, "Look, we get it. We get that we don't get it. <laughs> like we don't get streaming, and we can see why a lot of people are like up in arms about this." <laughs> but basically, what Germany is doing is it is impl- applying the principles of broadcast television in Germany to live streaming from normal citizens like us. And unfortunately, I guess Germany just doesn't have laws on the books that can address some modern technology. And look, the United States doesn't really either. No. I mean, our fair use laws, our internet laws are all were all created way too long ago. And uh, and they've not been updated because mm-hmm. it most administrations because we're too busy updating copyright law to keep Mickey Mouse owned by Disney forever. Right. Funny how that they have no problem changing that when yeah. it needs to be changed. Because they've done that twice now for Mickey? I think three times. Three now. times. Copyright law basically exists in the form it does in the United States because Disney's lawyers say we want it to be like this. Pretty much, yeah. So, 
But uh, this is, I mean, th there's no real, like, the fair use thing is just, like, it's a defense in a legal case. It's not, like, a, a legal right you have. Yeah. Um, the main reason, like, there hasn't been some kind of massive crackdown on it is because it's just too big to do that to. Like, you yeah. have to... Well, now after... it is because of YouTube and Twitch right. and... But you'd have to, like, you'd have to go after tens of thousands of people for that. Uh, this seems a more elegant way of just getting people to stop doing it because you don't have the money to pay for it. But, like, I'm not sure what their objective... I mean, maybe they're just applying kind of their TV license, like, idea to the Internet and hoping it sticks. But I feel like this this tax is not long for this world uh, once once more information comes down the pipeline. Well, one thing they did mention was that from their perspective, they were looking at it like, hey, I mean, in all honesty, we don't really want people... Because there's very strict laws with broadcast television. Like, mm -hmm. you have to wait till 10 p.m. to show certain types of content. And I think what Germany is trying to do... And Germany is very prudish when it comes to content. It's... It's the country that bans hyper-violent games. It's the country that bans hypersexual games. So it has a history of this, of sort of trying to control when and where people sort of access that type of content. And so I can kind of understand why Germany's doing this. If that's the way they run their country, it does kind of make sense that that would apply to mm -hmm. sort of any type of broadcasting, no matter how much money is behind it. Here's what I'm, I want to ask, Matt. Do you, even though this sucks and it's total bullcrap, do you think that there might be some good, though, to it? Because aren't, isn't, aren't there too many people streaming at this point? There are, I would say, but that doesn't mean I only want the ones with money to get to keep streaming. Right, yeah. Because that, it, this isn't weeding out the quality people. It's just weeding out people who can't pay for it. Well, I think some people would argue that if you do quality streams that you will be one of the people making money, right? Yeah, but that doesn't help you if you're starting. Right. You know, you got to start somewhere, and if you got to throw a thousand euro at something to even begin, how many people are going to do that? Because yeah. you're not, you know, that's one of the one of the reasons. Well, that's we, the bottom. I mean, it could right. be more. Well, well, yeah, but presumably they don't up that until you're making more money at it. But, like, you know, who knows? The, the, my issue with that, and maybe this is kind of a uniquely, I don't know, American First Amendment brainwashing situation, but I feel like... You know, what if you miss out on one of the best streamers of all time because they didn't have a thousand euro to spare to get a license to start doing this? Like, you're, you're limiting the pool of potential talent by doing that in a way that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, like maybe putting a, levying some kind of license tax on high-profile streamers would make more sense, but I don't think, like, you should have to do that if you just want to, like, stream, I don't know, like, stream, like, a game for you and your friends to watch or something. Like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. Look, and I agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate for the mm -hmm. sake of conversation. But I, I sort of being the devil's advocate again, a way around that would be just to pre-record your streams and then just upload them to your YouTube channel. There's, there would still be ways to sort of get discovered. Right. But, I mean, like, the live interaction thing is something to be said for it. And there is a lot of movement away from YouTube recorded Let's Plays and into yeah. live stream Twitch plays. Um, and I think... Germany is probably aware of that. Yeah, and so, I know, would hope. So, um, I mean, if, I don't think we're going to see a lot of other nations follow suit here. No, uh, <laughs> they're not setting a precedent. I no. don't believe. <laughs> I can't see the rest of the EU going like, "Oh, that looks like a good idea." You know, it's like it's just well no. until they see how much money gener Germany generates from well, it. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> which will probably be. That's none. the other thing is like that's a very hard thing to enforce. Yeah. How do you police that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it could create, a, could create a lot of jobs. I guess. I mean, you could sort. By country on Twitch, right? In theory, yeah. 
But Maybe it's, it's like, not as hard as you think then. But you at least have to have people watching every stream that goes up from Germany and cross-referencing those people with their licenses, and then you have to figure out whose name is what, and like, do you put your Twitch account name on your license, and then what if you switch your name? Like, I mean, right. there's a lot of bureaucratic nonsense that comes Well, then it starts to, to get this. dirty, where the government starts requesting IP addresses from Twitch, and, you know, we've seen already with companies like Facebook and some of the, the big social media networks, you know, Twitter, that they're, they're willing to push back against the government on stuff mm. like that, and it just gets messy and probably becomes something that's just not worth the hassle when they start figuring out exactly how much money they're going to make, make over it. And here's really, I think, the most important thing from more of a nationalistic perspective is if you're Germany, you're keeping your people down. Yeah, but I mean... It's like what you were saying. Like, you're keeping them from discovering their full potential and mm -hmm. reaching their full potential. I just think, you know, I mean, like you said, it's like, you know, the, the laws are, you know, they're applying their TV standards or broadcast standards to something that doesn't really fit that. And, like... To me, that sounds more like a wake-up call. Like, hey, your laws probably need updating. No, yeah, because it doesn't work anymore. And again, they're not and alone. I, Our laws need updated as well. Right, but they, um, you know, like we're not that far gone in that situ in this situation at least. So I wonder. I mean, hopefully they will take the uh, the, the route of saying like, okay, it is this way because this is what you know the current law demands, but we're going to fix it. So just hang on, kind of thing. I mean. In the meantime, I don't know what you do if you're trying to stream and they want ten grand out of you. But, yeah, uh, well, that's ten thousand euro too. It's not ten thousand right. USD, so it's not cheap. Yeah, and then I, that it also doesn't really. It's like okay, what if someone's watching like, you know, a stream from the United States in Germany? Right. Like, how does that work? How does that like? Do do you does the German government say like, oh, we should get money from them too, or do you have to pay a fee for watching out of German, out Streams. of Germany stream like the like, it gets real hairy real fast, so I have to believe that this is going to be a temporary thing until they figure out how to actually, you know, regulate it, if yeah. they even want to regulate this. Yeah, I think in hindsight, they'll probably look into it and be like, yeah, you know, this law passed, but are we going to enforce this law? I just feel like even if, even if you try to modify it to fit the standard, you're still creating, like, this massive bureaucratic system to kind of manage something that, if we're being honest, can't be managed. Yeah, it's impossible. I mean, outside of, like, internet on, internet off. Like, that's, like is that it's about all you can do, and no one's going to stand the Russian way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I think it's interesting just to see sort of these new emerging technologies um, come into place. And, then you know, they always have a grace period where everyone's just like, whatever. Just let them do what... It's like YouTube when it launched. It's like, oh, they're stealing everybody's content, but it's so awesome, so whatever. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every new sort of technical paradigm shift gets this grace period where it's allowed to just kind of do whatever the hell it wants. And then slowly people start to, well, a lot of the times it's money. People sometimes like, it's a moral panic. Moral panic. You're right. And eventually it seems like the reins get put on and they start mm -hmm. pulling it back a little bit. Uh, and, and maybe they spend decades loosening them again. Right, right. And I feel like maybe that's what's happening with live streaming. Mm -hmm. Dabbing uh, with movies. Yep. Uh, Stuff pre-rating, uh, the rating system, raunchy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, same with comic books. Comic books was a moral panic, created the Comic Code Authority, and then slowly they, they threw that off 20, 30 years later. Yeah. Um, something similar could happen with the internet. The question is, like, the internet is much harder to regulate than a concrete physical media uh, medium. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so, like, 
how do you even it's just it's you know just it leaks out everywhere there's nothing you can do about it the other thing i would say too is that as streaming gets bigger and more and more people cut the cord and turn away from traditional satellite or cable mm -hmm. television and start getting their content online more that's where big money comes into play and oh, that's yeah. generally where all the crappy stuff happens because oh that's look at the net neutrality stuff right, right. now in america where it's You're like exactly right you know it's it, they can't win in the content war so they're going to win charging you to look at the stuff you're looking at instead of them yep so big money is involved so you start looking at advertisers who dedicate millions and in some cases a billion dollars a year to advertising on television these advertisers start realizing hey wait a minute one all these people are leaving traditional cable television and satellite and they're going over to these internet platforms but two they realize hey what's really the difference between the person watching this show on nbc or someone watching this live streamer. They're still watching an ad for 30 seconds. The ad is still in HD. In some cases on NBC, they're on a DVR and they're skipping past the commercials. Over here, they have to watch the commercial. And it's cheaper, way cheaper. Like pennies on the dollar cheaper to advertise online. And so if you start seeing that mass exodus of budgets for advertisers leaving the traditional broadcast cable space and moving over to platforms like this, that's when you start to see lobbying happening in the government where you start having like this TV association suddenly spending tons of money on a campaign for someone who has promised that, hey, we're gonna make sure that this, we're gonna put regulations in place like Germany to make sure that these this streaming or this other new emerging market doesn't have sort of as much wind underneath its sails as it otherwise might have. And that's when things really start to get dirty and ugly, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. So it, we're still in the infancy of this. And it's only going to get crazier. I mean, look, yeah. it started with games, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff you mm -hmm. can do. Like, I'm shocked, honestly, that Twitch has been so slow to spread its wings out and other stuff. Right. I mean, you're, you're looking at Bob Ross before we went on air. Uh, and it, there's only a few examples of that so far. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it just launched I, IRL where yeah, you can just stream yourself doing whatever. And they did, uh, they did the Power Rangers marathon to, to kick off the movie release. Right. Um, there's, I think there's a, there's a, there's a, something to be said for that. The question here is those marathons have made a splash so far because they're unusual for Twitch to do. Right. If it becomes a thing they do all the time you're going to get it lost in the noise. Yeah, see, I'm not talking about stunts, though. I'm right. talking about creating a dedicated channel to political news commentary. Mm -hmm. Like, right now, all that well, stuff's that kind of happening on YouTube. That was kind of the original idea of, of the whole, you know, because Twitch began as just sort of the, you know, the Justin TV sort right. of... Well, it's going video back game to Justin yeah, TV. Yeah, <laughs> it was originally just the video game-related branch of Justin TV. Yeah. Worst and, name for a company ever. Yeah. I don't know yeah. who thought they would ever succeed... <laughs> the name like because Justin it was, TV. It supposed, was it supposed to be like Justin? Like I always thought Just that In? like the guy who founded it was named Justin. Yeah, <laughs> probably could have used a hyphen or something. Right. I, I really thought that's what it was. Originally, I did, but then I was like, oh, is this? Just, I thought it was some guy named Justin who streamed. Yeah. Basically, but then it, I, I figured later it was like, oh, it must be like this Justin. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, but no one ever said it like that. Everyone said Justin. And I have a question actually. Can I don't know the answer to this. Maybe someone in the chat does, or maybe you do. On YouTube, can you stream whatever you want, or is it just for gaming? Yeah. You can. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Oh, okay. So you can do a live show on YouTube. Yeah, it's just like on YouTube. politics or whatever. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So you, I don't think YouTube has any restraint on what can be streamed done live, one one way or the other. Gotcha. Okay. 
Well, then, in that case, YouTube's already there then. Yeah. And a lot of people are using YouTube for that. I mean, people are doing their own little shows like that. Um, Twitch, I mean, part of the reason Twitch has been slow to, slow to react to something like that, I think, is because they don't feel they need it. Like, they're so big and so functional on this one thing. Yeah. You slowly, you know, creative is slow, you know, slowly been growing. And, you know, that there's, you know, that was pretty small early on. It was, you know, they launched it with the Bob Ross uh, channel. Yeah. But now I think, you know, you look at the creative side and it used to be kind of like, oh, it's just like five people knitting and like, you know. Yeah. And now it's like, no, nah, it's just anything you could possibly want to watch. Uh, and creative also has turned out to mean a lot of different things. Yeah. So, like, people can kind of get it away with It does mean whatever. a lot of different you things. Yeah, as long as you're knitting, you can talk about whatever you want. Basically. Right. So, it's like you could do a politics show, except everybody's knitting. Right. And that counts under the creative banner. Yep. And look, there's something to be said about diluting your brand. I mean, Twitch yeah. is known as gaming live streaming. That's what people think of. And that's even my mom is like, what's that Twitch thing where people play mm-hmm. games and other people watch? That's what it's known for. YouTube is already establishes brand as everything. Yeah. You can get everything on YouTube. And so it doesn't sort of stand out. Well, it'll be interesting to see which one prevails. Because, you know, tides can shift real fast. And on one hand, you want to be good at pick what you do well and do that well, like Twitch is doing. But on the other hand, as uh, Major Kusanagi once said, over-specialize and you breed in weakness. And, uh, you know, if, you, if they have no other direction to go, if, that, if the bottom, for some reason, falls out of the video game streaming market, I don't know why it would, yeah. but then where do, what do they do? They have to suddenly really hope that people want to watch Crochet. Yep. <laughs> or Bob Ross. Or Bob Ross. Which, hey. I mean, Bob Ross does well for them. <laughs> and he should. He's great. He's brilliant. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about the NES Classic Edition. Matt, did you ever get one? No, I've never even seen one. I've in, never uh, seen one with my own two eyes. I've seen, oh, I've seen one, uh, 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 someone I was working with at a job had one in his office, but that's the only one I've ever seen in person. I've yeah. never seen one on a retail Actually, show. I think I saw, the, saw one in a trade show. I've never seen one in a store. I only played it once. I played it once. His, his system, I played it, and it was fine. Yeah. But, like, that's the only time I've ever seen one. Do you have any interest in getting one? No. No. I have all those games in various forms. Yeah. On like five other systems. But don't you think even... a lot of people that bought it could say the same thing? Yeah, but um, they bought into it and I didn't, basically. I mean, sure, if you want it, go ahead. If you, if Do you, you wish you had bought one now, though? No. Even though the, now that they're discontinued and they've gone up, the eBay price for this thing has tripled mm-hmm. in the last 48 hours since it was announced. And it's probably going to quadruple and quintuple. Yeah, keep going. To get one, I probably would have had to go through more trouble than I care to go through. Yeah. So, no. And I would never have gotten... I would never get around to selling it because I'm lazy that way. And I, I never... It's like you always buy stuff and hope it'll be a collectible, but then it becomes a collectible. And I'm just like, oh, I have it. I don't want to get rid of it. It's like... So, I don't... I, I have no interest in having more copies of these games I already have copies of. All right, so uh, let's... The original cartridges in, some, in many cases. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk now about why this happened, Matt. Why would Nintendo discontinue... Honestly, one of its most popular products that it's released in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what I heard, and I don't know if we this got is some tr- intel coming from Matt Kyle right now. I don't here, know if people. this is true or not, but this is what I heard is that they licensed the third-party games on that for six months because they didn't of sale because they didn't think it was going to be this big of a hit, and so now they have because the license is over, they have to pull the, the product and renegotiate the licenses to re-release it later. Shouldn't and I totally guess probably the most plausible explanation I've heard because mm-hmm. in nothing else makes any sense. Anything else yeah, makes I'm, no I sense. I mean, whatsoever. either that or Nintendo hates money. Yeah. 
Like, I don't... <laughs> Which we I mean, there's a, lot the of t- there's a lot of talk about, like, you know, oh, they want us to buy these games on the Switch, and it's like, look, the Switch is not widespread enough to pull your other super successful product off the shelves in response to that. And also, if they were worried about that, why would they launch it, like, four months before the Switch comes out? Right. Like, it doesn't... That doesn't track. Well, I think we can all agree that the NES... Classic has been far more popular than Nintendo thought it would be. Yeah, but and, I, and but I also think far more popular than I thought it would. Be. It is more popular than I thought. But also, like, do we know how popular it is? Because there's never been a sufficient amount of product in the retail pipeline. We've never been given numbers to see. You know, once you once you meet, it's like the Switch. It's like we don't know yet. There's like eight to ten million Nintendo fanatics that'll buy anything Nintendo puts out, and we don't know if anyone beyond that is going to buy. It. I mean, if you if this thing had been you know, put in retail channels in sufficient numbers, I think it would have been a big outside the core demographic hit in the sense of like, you see, you know, it's, it's like you see that on the shelf, your shop, Christmas shopping or whatever. You're like, oh, that's perfect for whatever game guy I know. Or I remember that game. I want to play it. I'm going to get that. Like it's, it's, it's just, you know, 60 bucks retail. Um, not that anyone's paid that for one in like six months. Yeah. Right? Um, it's just the right price point for an impulse, bu- a nostalgia buy. And I think it would have been successful. But I don't know if we really know. Because, like, they put so few out there. I'll, I'll tell you, Matt. I am going... They're, they're sending one last shipment out before the end of this month. I'm going mm. to try to get one. Because yeah. I think by the time I'm ready to retire, this thing's going to be worth crazy amounts of money. I don't know how long the value will last. Especially if they bring it out again. Well, I feel that, that would I feel kill like, it, obviously. I feel that they're, they're, com- I feel they're going to renegotiate the licenses and bring it out again. But for a $60 risk, oh, sure. it's well worth it. I mean, it's... But I, I'm just saying I would sell it by, you know, pretty soon. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think this is going to be off the market forever. That's okay. What I'm I think they're going to bring it back again. So like I said, I think your explanation and the things that you kind of heard through the grapevine makes the most sense of anything that I've heard. But then my question becomes... Why didn't Nintendo realize right away it was a huge hit and renegotiate those contracts immediately? So that it did not lo- have that break well, in the retail chain. Maybe they're, tr- maybe they're trying and they haven't been able to come to agreements yet. I mean, who knows? We don't so know. So you think these third the party guys were like, oh, hold on a minute. That deal we signed with you at first was when we thought you'd sell a couple hundred thousand of these things, but now. I mean, God knows. We want what, more money. I mean, God knows what Konami's response was. Yeah. You know? Well, Konami's probably so glad just to have its name mentioned with video games again <laughs> that it's like, we'll just give it to you for free. And again, also, let's not forget Nintendo's the same company that the reason Wii Virtual Console stuff did not carry over to the Wii U is because the Wii Virtual Console games were only licensed as Wii executables. Yeah. Wii applications. Right. They were, they, the license was not for something that could continue onward to future systems. That's how short-sighted they were about that. Which so, means... So the it, idea that something like this would happen again, not really that far-fetched. It's actually not far-fetched at all, especially when you consider that I think we can, again, also agree that Nintendo, as soon as it came up with the idea for this product, it was not supposed to be a long-term product. No. It was supposed to be a special, fun promotion for the anniversary, mm-hmm. goes out, does okay over the holidays, maybe they sell it at places like mm-hmm. Radio Shack and I also stuff think like the that. other... The other uh, piece of evidence in favor of the license issue is the uh, license theory is that um, they're also pulling the, the Famicom one. So something is in happening Japan, yeah, right? in Japan. So something is happening for them to pull this thing off the market completely. 
So to me, that says they've got something they got to figure out. Nintendo's official statement was terrible, by the way. It, I didn't see it that. It didn't provide any insight or information on why it's happening. Was it just like, thanks for your interest in this thing? And, and it says, and now. we apologize that it's been difficult to find, and that but, was it. But wait for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it said that we are sending out one more shipment that, before the end of the month. Mm -hmm. So... Man, there might be, like, stabbings. People are going to get stuck trying to get the NES oh, I mean, Classic. What? So it was like, you're saying it's up to, like, $800,000 now? What? Like, the, the price? If it's quadrupled, it was, like, selling for 200 bucks. It went up three times already. Yeah. It's triple the price. Wow. Yeah, from where it was before they announced it. Yeah, that might be worth stabbing somebody for. Yeah, that's what I'm some, saying. Some, like, yeah. a $60 item <laughs> that you can then flip for, like, three, $600. Yeah. There might be some bad stuff going down. So, uh... Hey, if you guys have been on the hunt, don't slack. I mean, yeah. this is your last chance. It, it might, I mean, look, you, you say you think they may re-release it. I'm a little reticent to agree with that because once you announce a product has been killed, it's really hard to kind of re restart that machine again. And uh, if anything, if Nintendo is anything, it is a shrewd business. And it handles its business mm. meticulously and with care. And so for me, I feel like if Nintendo is saying this thing is discontinued, I think it might be discontinued yeah, for good. Yeah, the Famicom announcement was much more worded to make it seem like it was temporary. Yeah. I don't think this is gone forever. I'll tell you what I... I well, mean, they'll move on to the Super Nintendo next. Well, I'll buy that. Yeah, the Super oh, yeah. the I like best the console of all time. I like the Super Nintendo <laughs> better than the NES by a large margin. Yeah, me too. But, like, I, don't, I, I think this will be back. Maybe by the end of the year, depending on how long the negotiations take. So I'm just saying, if you do get one, sell it before they announce that it's coming back. Imagine when we're in like our 60s and 70s. Do you think they'll like reissue like the N64? You think they'll make like a little mini Nintendo 64? Oh, I think that'll happen sooner than. Really? You think. Do you think the 3D era though kind of holds up for that stuff though? Kinda. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We'll talk about it in a minute. Actually, there, yeah. <laughs> we're on the way to discuss that. So. Uh, I think the 3D era will be far... I mean, but again, the NES stuff is very nostalgia-driven, too. I mean, I yeah. think you put, put that in the hands of some kids, and, like, really, aside from the big one, aside from, like, Mario two, Mario Brothers, Mario 3, maybe Mega Man 2, like, I don't think a lot... You know, I can't see a lot of kids just, like, losing themselves in Star Tropics. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, let's move on. Now we're going to talk about an indie game that Matt has been playing this week. Mm -hmm. Speaking we, of throwbacks. Yeah, we both dipped our toes in some indie stuff this week. Uh, you've been playing Cosmic Star Heroine. Yep. And that is free for PlayStation Plus subscribers this month. Is that right? No. I thought it was. I don't think so. If it was, I got ripped off because uh, no, I bought it. No, it's Lovers in a Dangerous Space yeah. Time that's free. Uh, I, I can see where I got those two titles right. mixed up. It's, um, <laughs> it is like, I think it's like 20% off for PlayStation Plus, or, or it was a, no, a pre-order uh, discount. It's full price now, 15 bucks. But it, the discount is still in play on Steam. And I suggest, if you have a choice, to get it on Steam, because you will get bug fixes much, much faster. And that is a major issue with this game. Yeah, so tell far. us the tale, Matt. So this is a... This, um, this is a turn-based RPG. This is a turn-based 16-bit uh, style RPG by uh, Zeboid Games. Uh, people who made Cthulhu Saves the World. Um, it is... Uh, I would say the, the influences are... It's mainly influenced by Fantasy Star. There's a lot of Fantasy Star in this game. Which it's is, a sci-fi turn-based RPG. Super, which is super good for me. Um... But it's, uh, I would say it's mainly influenced by Fantasy Star, uh, there's Chrono Trigger, all the battles are uh, on, the, on the screen, like there is no cutaway to the battle, Every, it's like in Chrono Trigger, you run into the guy, everybody jumps in a position and you have your fight right there on the map. Um, there is some Lunar 
I would say there's some lunar in terms of how the cutscenes are done and sort of the, the, the tone of the story. And there is uh, Suikoden. In, wow. a, in the sense that there's a that's quite a pedigree there. <laughs> there's some base. There's some base building. There's some some kind of political intrigue going on. Uh, so I'd say those four. If you're, it's a fantasy. If you like Fantasy Star, Chrono Trigger, Lunar, and or Suikoden, you're going to want to give this one a look. Wow. Um, it's very streamlined. It's very smart in terms of how it works. The battle system is like. Frankly, like nothing I've really ever played. Wow. Um, That's a big statement. So the way it works, and we might see this here uh, shortly. So every fight, you begin with full life. Okay. There is no life so or mana So when you finish a fight, effect. your health goes back every, to maximum. Health max. goes back to maximum. Okay. So, you start, so what you have is you have, um, you have each character has abilities. Uh, you can equip seven abilities, and then you have a rest ability. So you have eight things you can do at once. And every time, with the exception of a couple of like kind of repeatable moves, every time you use a move, that's it. It's it's exhausted, and then you have to use the rest button to use a turn to replenish all your abilities. Okay. Using abilities ups uh, a style gauge. When the style gauge hits a hundred percent, you can then y- your next attack or next whatever you do is enhanced. Uh, all the enemies have. Um, uh, like elemental weaknesses of some, most of them have elemental weaknesses of some kind. There's a lot of status effects you can you can put on them, uh, and they get stronger the longer the battle goes on. So it's oh. very much it's very much in your interest to finish battles quickly. And the the system is set up that you your characters enhance each other and enhance their own moves in a way that you you also, if you're smart, can can basically battle these things very quick. I mean, for, for instance. Um, and I'll get into why I fought this guy twice, but there's a giant robot you fight at one point, and the first time I fought him, uh, it took about seven or eight turns to beat him, and when I had to redo that battle because of a, of a crash, um, I beat him in two turns. Uh. Maybe it was three turns, but it was much, much faster than the last one, because I knew what I was doing, I knew what the weaknesses you were. You got better I, at the I game. I knew how to interact with my different characters. I mean... You're, you're doing, uh, you know, your standard attack in this is going to, you know, without any enhancements, is going to do maybe 100 damage, 150 damage early on. And then if you play your cards right with, like, one particular character, his he's got, like, an uppercut move that is enhanced by a couple different things. If you do it at the maximum of his style, you're going to do, like, 6,000 damage. Whoa. I mean, <laughs> if you play stuff right, you, and there's there are multiple difficulty levels going up to uh, Superstar, or Super Spy. Um, Super Spy, like, it took me 14 tries to beat the first enemy in the tutorial wow so if you want a challenge <laughs> that does not cut you any slack this game is here for you wow um is the whole game that challenging uh on that difficulty level yes uh the others no i mean play on e- there's a super easy one there's a standard one there's a harder one how is it uh adjusting the difficulty is it just damage given damage, out, damage taken uh yeah damage uh given out and also um, abilities that the enemies have. Oh, okay. So, so the, it actually changes. The enemies do have different abilities and different things they can do uh, once you go past, uh, up to heroin. Different. So it's, I think it's agent something. <laughs> it's, it's like easy, normal, and then hard is heroin, and then super, very hard is super spy. And once you hit heroin difficulty, uh, it's, everybody gets new moves, and it's, it's a different game to a large okay. degree. Um, that one seems to be kind of the, the sweet sp- I mean, if you're kind of... I'd say that's about as difficult as, like, Persona 5. Like, it's, it's, okay. like, it's a challenge, but you don't feel like you're not going to live. Well, Persona time. 5, it's like... It's really hard. 
Mm-hmm. Then it's really easy for like twelve hours, right? And then you go into a dungeon and just get wiped out. Well, like in terms of like how the du- you know how the, the tension of the, the dungeon, like it's like that. Except you never feel like you're unprepared. You know, because part of the challenge of Persona Five is like, oh, we're out of items, we can't replenish our MP anymore. This one, you get everything back and so, to the point that even items in this game, you don't use them up. You oh. just you have a certain number of equip slots for your items section, and you can equip items. You have a potion that restores 100 hit points. You can use it once per battle. God, just yeah. make sure you use it smart. So there's actually like a nice sort of strategy angle to this. Yes. It's almost borderline strategy RPG. Yeah, there's, and even when like the strategy isn't based around surviving, it is all. It can be. It's fun because it's based around kicking things ass as fast as humanly possible. Yeah, um, it is a huge. It, cast. it encourages you to speed run it. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Uh, it is. Uh, I haven't finished it for a reason I'll get into shortly. But um, uh, people who are finishing it say it's like sixteen to twenty hours. Wow! It's, it's, not, it's not a giant. How much is it selling for? Fifteen. Not bad. Um, it's not a. So it's not like a Suikoden level, like seventy, eighty hour game. But it is a respectable length. Um, writing's decent. It's kind of. It's got you know a very you know. It's got a very fantasy star flavored story. Um, it's it gets right to the point. The pacing is just boom, boom, boom. There is none of the standing around, you know, like is none of the standard JRPGs standing around. Everybody's talking about like whether they should do this and what their feelings are and whether their mother is alive. And it's it's all just like oh, like this thing happened. We're all betrayed. Let's go to the nightclub and find our friends and get out of here. It's like it's like, it's like me. It's just go, 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 right, go. Right, right. Um, now the problem is uh, this thing has uh, bugs all through it. It has a very been a very rough release by Zipboid Games' own admission. And I will say, if there's one genre that I can tolerate bugs in the least, it's probably yeah. JRPGs. So um, when I when I got to the end of the first major section, as I was leaving the, the you know what what would be called the dungeon, I guess a little thing pops up that says. Um, Thanks for playing the beta. There will be more contents coming soon. And I'm like, uh, oh I'm pretty sure God. I bought the full game. And it turned out that they had uploaded the wrong version of the game. Oh, my and God. And they, they had to do an update. And later, I mean, it was literally hours later after release. But they, they eventually Dude, got that it that is the worst mistake. Not good. So did your save that you... Save did carry over. Oh, thank God. Um, and, uh, and then so now, like, so I'm in Chapter 5... And there's a there's a boss battle against a giant robot, and then you have to use the giant robot to fight a giant monster. And every single time I kill the giant monster, the game hard crashes. Doesn't matter what I what move I use, doesn't matter how I beat him. But I, you're not losing your saves or anything. Not using not losing my save, but like I can't get past this boss battle because the game literally stops working after I beat the boss. Now are you the only one who's having this issue? Have you figured out? If- uh, no, I I actually uh, have been posting on NeoGaf about it uh, with uh, <laughs> with the guy who made it with oh. Robert Zaboid. Is in the thread, uh-huh. uh, being very helpful and very supportive of, of, of telling people what's going on and when to expect things and all that. That's good. And honest about what's happening. Yeah. That's how I know what I just told you about the... the well, yeah, the if he admitted bit, yeah. that they uploaded the beta, um, he's honest. So, he's, so sure. he's been very straightforward about it. And um, Doesn't Microsoft or Sony do any checks on this stuff? They can't do... I mean, you tell... They should play it! <laughs> Well, yeah, but like they, if if they say this is what we're uploading, that's what they uploaded. You know, they, they, Sony can't make them upload the right version. 
they get the version from the developer. Right, but then they should play it. That's not how it works. It should work that way. That's that because Sony's the one selling the product. Right, but they and so Sony is they on play the hook. builds of it, but what you upload to the server to be bought and downloaded is that comes from the developer. Well, the way I look at it is like, and look, they had the right version, they just did it did the wrong one. The right one went up a few hours later. Right, but they uploaded the wrong right. version of the game. <laughs> Somebody I, hit the wrong button or whatever. Well, normally, this I is mean, what crunch time does to you, folks. No, you're right. But what I'm saying is that Sony should have a process in place where it gets mm-hmm. that final version for upload a yeah. week before it's supposed to be uploaded. Or for instance, somebody well, plays it to make sure like, it works. So it was supposed to go up, uh, you know, Tuesday morning or whatever it was on uh, on Steam, and it wasn't up. It wasn't up. Maybe it was Monday. I can't remember which one. It wasn't up. Wasn't up. Wasn't up. And I was like, where is it? Where is it? it turned out. Um, uh, Steam Valve had blocked it from going up because uh, someone had set the profile on it uh, to say that it supported cloud saves and it didn't. Oh. So they had to change that, resubmit to Valve, and hope that Valve got around to it in hours and not weeks. Right. And luckily they did. They got it up later that day. But that is little things like that. You set the wrong sw- switch or flag yeah, on something really and it you. blows everything out of the water. So right now I'm basically waiting for... Because the thing about... How do you make that mistake, though? It's like, look, you know. and a group of uh, three of your friends or four or whatever, handful of your friends have worked on this project for a couple years, poured your heart and soul into it, and then in the end, you just make a couple stupid mistakes that could seriously damage the... Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you're right, but at the same time, I've never crunched for two months right. and been up 48 hours when I had to do that, so I'm not going to judge yeah, yeah. on that. It's just um, crazy to think about. Oh yeah, but like it's just all the little so, things they had to do right to actually make the to game. get there. And then, like, yeah. <laughs> so the problem, right? So I'm playing on PS4. So the problem is right now that like you know if I was having this problem on the, on the Steam version, they can update that over and over as much as they want. But for, because you have to go through Sony's you know approval process, all that, it's going to be a while because they're waiting for to have a bunch of bugs they can fix and then put out a new patch. So basically, I'm stuck in the game unless I want to buy the Steam version. Um, so, so that's why I'm saying, if you're going to buy this, I recommend the Steam version. Because here's the thing. It's really good. Yeah. I really like it. It's 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 a lot of fun, and I'm interested in the story, and I like the characters, and I like how everybody plays, and I like how all the different characters work together. Combat system it's, sounds com- great. It's, it's cool. It's really sounds different. Good. Yeah. And, like, you know, they've, they've, they've really kind of, uh, from what I hear, kind of bet the company on this one a little bit. So, like, it's got to sell well, but, like, it's it's in a bad state right now. Hopefully it doesn't, you know... Bought a pig in the poke on this one, Abby. Hope it doesn't blow up on the stand, <laughs> yeah. as Sam Waterston might say. Um, so fifteen dollars, fifteen bucks. Right now, it's, recommend it's like, the Steam version. Steam version is twenty percent off right now. I think. So uh, there's two reasons so to recommend good, it. Then. Another good reason to get Steam. Um, and again, like it's it seems like it's going to be maybe a little rough rough going for the first week or two. But these guys really made something that nobody else is trying to do, and they've done it. You know, outside of the game breaking bugs uh, that happen here and there. Um, they they made something special, I think, and, and they're responsive. And they're they aren't running away from the mistakes trying yeah. to hide they, like a certain the, other yeah. indie developer we know. Yeah, clearly, Zavoid <laughs> Games is the opposite of the the anti Hello Games. Exactly. Clearly. Um, but it's you know what's here is really fun and really cool, and it, and it would have to be for me to keep running into this crash bug and not be furious at the game. But like I feel you know. Like I all my only impatience is that I want to play more of it, so that's not a bad thing. Um, so be be you know be advised, it's it's a buggy product right now. At least what I've played on the PS4, maybe not so much on Steam because they can update that faster. But if you have any love for these old old you know 
old 16-bit RPGs, like, don't miss this one. All right, fair enough. Let's move along. Battlefront 2, mm. one of the uh, most awkward debuts of all time. Yeah. Was Oops. it Thursday? I don't say it was Wednesday or Thursday, yeah. So it was late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, mm -hmm. that the initial teaser trailer was leaked. Right, but it was the... It was the full teaser trailer, not the teaser for the teaser trailer. Right. Which is not to be confused with the reveal trailer, which right. came out today. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> so they had trailers of three different lengths. Right. They had like a 15-second, a 30-second, and then the full shebang that came out today. Yeah. The middle one is the one that came out first. Yeah. And then yesterday, they put out the shortest one, which was a tease to the full one that was coming out today. I'm sitting at home. I'm preparing for the show today. I am clicking refresh over <laughs> and over, hoping to get that full trailer before I leave to come here. It didn't happen. I get here, setting up for the show. You roll in. You're like, hey, did you see that Battlefront? I'm like, which one? <laughs> you're like, the full one that just came out like an hour ago. I was like, oh, God. So it was a mad scramble for us to uh, get that trailer and get it into the show. But we did it. And Sam's got it ready to rock. Here it is. Um, so Matt. Biggest Star mm -hmm. Wars fan I know. You actually have more details than I have as well. Yeah, because I watched some of the live stream before I came over here. They were doing a live stream from Star Wars Celebration uh, with the developers and couple and uh, the writer of the novel and a couple of but. So uh, Matt, as the biggest Star Wars fan I know, also a probably an expert in Star Wars video games, give us the rundown on Battlefront Two from what you've learned so far. So this is a what we're seeing here is from the uh, the campaign. There is a single player campaign in this game, unlike the last one. Uh, it focuses on um, a cap a, a leader of an elite Tie Fighter squadron called Inferno Squad. That's her right there. Her name is. Uh, Aiden something. So it's Iden... about the Empire. It is about the Empire. What is her damn name? Hang on. Is this the first video game campaign to focus on the Empire? No, there have been others. Uh... Where the lead protagonist was on the side of the Empire? Well, yeah. Uh, Aiden Versio. That's her name. Okay. Um, it's not because... Technically, like in like the old Battlefronts, you could play... Uh, like the campaign in Battlefront 2... The old Battlefront 2, you played as part of uh, the 501st, which started as a clone trooper, you know, right. thing, and then you eventually became Vader's Fist and were part of the Empire through that. It was a very light story, mostly just told by narrations by uh, uh, Tamura Morrison. And then uh, in TIE Fighter, obviously, you play a TIE Fighter pilot who becomes part of the Emperor's Right, squadron. That should have been an obvious one. Um, yeah, but th there really isn't, like, a... The story. Well, I mean, Force Unleashed to some degree. The, yeah. the beginning, you start as Vader's apprentice. Eventually, obviously, you turn on that. But yeah. Like, um, it's. Uh, but this is the first one, as far as I can tell. The very beginning of this trailer, they show the first, the first order fighters leaving the Star Killer base, and you hear her say, "I've waited thirty years for this." So I'm wondering if this is going to start like kind of pre-original trilogy era when she's training. She'll be in the in the original trilogy of Civil War as like a full-fledged warrior, and then you'll kind of follow her trying to get revenge, joining the First Order, and being part of sort of as an older woman being part of that the push against the Resistance in Force Awakens or around that time. Um, that would be kind of a way to tie all three eras together because the content in this game in multiplayer does cover all three eras. Right. Um, that was kind of the only information they really shared yeah, that and with the first teasers. Uh, the, well, that and the footage of um, the, the, the game they showed at the, on the stream indicates that there are classes again. Okay. Uh, in the multiplayer. Right. Uh, so, 
this is uh, done, the, the campaign and the story is done by Motive, EA Motive, which is Jade Raymond's uh, team. First game. First, from first, uh, first game they're doing. Uh, and it's, uh, they credit, the writer they credited it on the live stream was uh, Mitch Dyer. Do you guys know who Mitch Dyer is? Mitchie D. Mitchie D, right. <laughs> he was an editor for IGN. And I don't even think he was a senior level editor. I believe I he was remember. just like a, maybe a reviews editor or something a, a, in something that like area. That. I mean, I knew his name and I associate him with IGN. He was, he was well, a, yeah, he was at IGN for was a, quite a while. Yeah, he was definitely part of the, the core team. Oh, yeah, he was a full-time editorial staffer. Yeah. But he wasn't a senior editorial guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went from writing video game reviews for IGN and doing yeah. podcasts to being the lead writer on... Probably the biggest Star Wars video game ever made. Yep. Not bad. That's quite a leap. Quite a leap. And then to even enhance that, they said on the live stream, the story in this game is canon. That's mind-boggling. What happens in this game is canon to the Star Wars universe. I mean, Mitch is probably mid to late 20s, I'm guessing. Maybe. 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 Is he? I don't know. I don't know much about Mitch. Yeah, I've only met him. never met him. Really nice guy. I've met him a couple times. He was great. Uh, but still, that's a shock to hear someone that young yeah. is writing Star Wars. Well, canon. apparently, he knows Star Wars backwards and forwards the way I know it. So apparently, it sounds you know it's probably in good hands. Yeah. Because the other thing is like, oh, people sometimes will be like, oh, I don't want someone who knows tons about Star Wars and knows all the expanded universe. The expanded universe is, was bad, and it wasn't. Here's the thing. Even knowing the bad parts of the old expanding universe means you're not going to repeat them. Right. You want to like know the bad. You want someone who knows what has happened. Yeah. And knows not to go there again. So. Or knows some. Or just knows how to not mess right. up the canon. Knows, knows what's, a, you know, what's occurred yeah. already. So and that we've there seen a lot of. Uh, and we've seen a lot of stuff in the new the new canon. Uh, that is, um, t- you know, taking ideas from the old expanding universe and, you know, taking the good and leaving the bad behind and incorporating that in the new stuff. We've seen that with uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn in the Rebels TV show, which is having its final season this year. Yeah. Very, not sad, really, but it's just, I like that show. And I never watched it. It's really good. And it's also nice, uh, of course, it's nice after the Clone Wars was sort of unceremoniously cut off to uh, have Dave Filoni finally getting to end the show properly. Right. Um, but yeah, this looks awesome to me. Like frankly, like it's it uh, you know the imperial perspective is great. They talked about like you'll see in the, in right here where like the Death Star blows up, and they wanted to capture the idea of like what if you were a soldier who believed in the Empire on the ground, and you think as the guy behind her says right here, now what do we do? Like what happens now? You know, it's like, crazy though to think about that though. Yeah, I mean I have just. I almost feel like they're trying to create sympathy for the Empire. Somewhat, but it's, I mean... I don't like, I don't want to have sympathy for the Empire. I hate the Empire. Well, it's not about sympathy for the Empire so much as the different perspective. Right. And uh, and she's a grunt pilot or whatever. She's an elite pilot. She's one of the best. Right. But but the the key is she's a true believer. And the the, the story is is about, like, what is that like? How 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 do you keep, you know... Because, like, I think they talked about, right before I left, so I didn't see the end of this conversation, but they talked about how she comes from a planet which is not occupied by the Empire. You know, we think about the Empire occupation as being, like, a forceful sort of, like, you know, occupation of Poland kind of thing. Because yeah. the Empire is Nazis. Let's, you know, oh, really. yeah, I mean, it's a um, metaphor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you're, you're really coming off, you know, off of that yeah. as, uh, from, from the original Star Wars. And, um, 
you know, but there, uh, like, I guess there, where she comes from was not an oppressed, like, occupation. It was more of a benevolent rule for whatever real right. reason. Or at least they did, she comes from somewhere where she didn't see the dark side of right, the empire. Right. Got it. And for what I mean... Maybe that's what the story's about, is it her could, discovering... Th- that could be it, too. Um, it's... It's going to be interesting to see how they balance that. It's also... I'm intrigued. I I like it. I like the idea. Well, the most interesting angle on that is, like, if you... So, let's let's say you're, like, a random guy in the Empire, and you want to... You know, because they're they're trying to kind of get around the idea of, like, there had to be heroes and uh, and idols in in the Imperial ranks that these people looked up. Because in the original Star Wars, you've got Biggs and... And Luke and those guys like wanting to join the academy, and partly why they want to join the it's the Imperial Academy, it's the Imperial Pilot Academy. They want, you're right. going to become Tie Fighter pilots, right? Right. And part of the the appeal there is obviously get off their backwater planet and get away somehow. Yeah. Um, and the story that they cut out of, of Biggs is like he you know he became a Tie Fighter pilot and then he jumped ship to a, a rebellion uh, freighter after he learned what the Empire was really up to. Um, but you, you, like the question that this story is going to apparently ask is like, what is it like to be someone who never had that revelation yeah. that these people are doing some really nasty stuff? And my question is, if you say you're a random dude and the if you saw the emperor, like crazy looking old sorcerer dude yeah. who if you probably like just just based on the performance, Return of the Jedi, kind of a dirty old man, sort of I don't want to be in the room alone with him, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Would that guy ever be able to inspire you no. to, to fight to the death <laughs> right. against well, a Wookiee? Well, I don't think I don't think he has to. I think he can use his mind control to Right. I mean, yeah, that, that's that'll be interesting to see because the, the the old EU had a whole thing with this thing called battle meditation, which actually comes from the old Zahn books and was incorporated in Knights of the Old Republic and those games and stuff, yep. which as sort of like a buff sort of thing. But the idea was, you know, is to try to explain why you kill one old guy. And an empire that spans thousands, if not millions, of worlds suddenly stops. Right. Why, you know, why did that all happen? They've still got all these giant ships, even if the Death Star... And the idea was that he's using battle meditation to make everybody really good at fighting. And once he dies, everybody sucks. Or to, to make them believe him. Right. And follow him. That could and be And support too. him. I mean, who knows? So they haven't really delved into that in the new... You know, the Disney era canon. Tauntauns, gotta love that. Yeah, Tauntauns, you know, riding by these things. There's, there's a star, like a, some kind of star destroyer, either. It looks like the, the, the ship, shipyards at Kuat. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, Force Awakens era stuff. Yeah. Um, they did talk about, uh, right before I left, talked about playing as Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren. I don't know if they meant that as part of the campaign or in, in multiplayer. I figure it was. It looked like they showed Luke in the campaign in the trailer. Maybe. Because it looks like the campaign's going to cover a lot of time. Like yeah. a bunch of eras. And, and I'm into that. Like it's, it's a side of things, A, we don't really see much even in general over the last 40 years of Star Wars. And certainly, we haven't seen that perspective in the new post-Disney acquisition campaign. Canon. So um, it could be real interesting. It could get real dark, and it could it could lead to some you know. Because also, I don't know if, if anyone's seen the Last Jedi teaser that went up this week. That also has a lot of you know. Luke narrates most of that, and there's a lot of talk about how you know there the you know there's the light and the dark, and there's so much more. Like they're really pushing the idea that there's more to the Force than the Jedi and the Sith. And Rogue One did that too. Yeah. With, with um. With the blind monk, who which I finally is, watched, by the way, yeah, who is not a Jedi. <laughs> I finally watched it, uh, and it was know, good. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't amazing. It was amazing. It was a hell of a third act. Uh, the last hour, <laughs> holy cow! It was real slow. 
So they're pushing. It was a slow burn, but that last hour, man, mm-hmm. it was worth the so, other. The so other Lucasfilm has been actively for the last couple of years pushing the idea that there's more to the Force than good versus evil, mm-hmm. than Jedi versus Sith. And I and this to me looks like the same because again, as any devotee of Knights of the Old Republic two knows. Uh, Star Wars is at its it's most interesting and arguably at its most mature when it's really looking at the shades of gray between the space opera good versus evil story. And this could be a really cool look. Also, I love TIE Fighters and I'm happy to play a TIE Pilot. Yeah, for sure. If I'm being super honest. Yeah. How do you uh, feel about this being the first game from Motive? Um, Any concerns there? It is Jade Raymond. I don't have any doubts about Jade Raymond. So I, well, it's not just her. No, it's there not are just hundreds her. of people that are also working she's, on the game. But she's running the show, and uh, she knows she's worked on very high-profile stuff in the past. I like most of what she's done. She knows what she's doing. She's a giant Star Wars fan, and uh, if there's anyone I have to have in charge of a Star Wars story uh, who isn't Amy Hennig, uh, she's pretty far up there. So in charge of a story, really? Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I look. I re- obviously respect her abilities as a project manager. And That's what I'm talking about. Like she, I, I believe she, as a Star Wars fan and a project manager, will have the the know it all, the know the know how to and experience to look at what's being written and what's being put into this game and know whether it's good or bad. Whether that's the way to go with it. I think she'll know whether it's good or bad. Whether she has the power to say this isn't ready. Oh, well, that's a different story, but they've been working yeah. on these things for a while. Well, Jade just came on to EA last year, didn't she? Was it? Yeah. That soon? Yeah. Well, they didn't have to build an engine. Right, It's just, and they're just making a campaign there. We're yeah. about the rest of the game as well. Look, I'm just happy they didn't give the campaign a dice. Oh, yeah, I think we can all agree with that one. <laughs> I think we're, we're like, all let's, in let's agreement. Let someone else try. Yeah, okay. yeah. And it's always, always, it's always dicey when you have one team doing the multiplayer and the other team doing mm. the campaign. Well, that's the... Th- the thing is, like, I feel but like... But obviously, they, Dice can handle multiplayer. Right. I feel like they don't, they don't have to be particularly beholden to Dice's multiplayer on this one. Yeah. You know, so they're just going to do... I hope they're not. What, they, what They're going to do what they do. They have the engine. They have the assets. It looks in, insane. Um, Does it multi- look any better than the last game, though? I think the lighting looks a little better. Maybe a little. Because um, remember, the, the, the Endor stuff is the tour de force. Uh, of uh, and it was with the trailers for the last one yeah. too. I mean, but um, it doesn't look that much better to me than I think the lighting looks better. For yeah, sure. no question. I mean, there's not much else. I mean, you can don't do. get me wrong. Battlefront looks great. There's like, a lot of it's part- already a great looking. And there's game. a lot of particle stuff happening with the the snow kicking up and the and the water kicking up. Um, there's, I mean, there's there's a lot happening on each screen on the screens here. Uh, it looks a little better. It doesn't look like revolutionary better, like the first, like the last one. And right. we're like, what? Well, it you wouldn't expect like that? that anyway. No, but it, like, it's a refinement, and it's there for sure. I mean, look, the first game already looked great. Right. It's like I'm just. I mean, I'm sure also to see like the real difference on this, you're gonna have to play it on a high end PC anyway. Yeah. Um, which I will, because I, I didn't care so much because it was all multiplayer, and I know I have more multiplayer friends on. Uh, like PS4, which is why I got Battlefront on that. But um, for this one, for the single-player campaign, we're, we're going to just go pretty, as pretty as we can make it. Well, I'm sure over the next month and a half, two months, we're going to hear a ton about this game. In mm-hmm. fact, probably if we could have stuck around and watched the rest of that presentation, we'd have a lot more to talk about now. Um, but if we did miss some stuff, we'll touch back on it next week and then wait for E3, where I'm sure it's going to be just blown out to smithereens. So, oh, yeah. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I like. I like. I am. And I didn't know if I would be. Yeah. For a new Battlefront this soon. Well, look. The one thing that I really bothered me about the last one is it didn't have a campaign. Right. This one has a campaign. It's also being being helmed by somebody 
who in the past has built campaigns that I really liked. Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, that's all gravy. You honestly, like I was a little nervous about sort of playing from the I, the perspective of the Empire. Uh, you've completely changed my mind on that, just with your knowledge of Star Wars and kind of proposing different scenarios that might come to pass. Uh, I'm all in. I'm excited for this game. Hopefully you guys are as well. Uh, let's move along. We're going to talk next about Scorpio. and We're going to talk very briefly about this. Um, this week, Gama Sutra, out of nowhere, uh, got his hands on the first images of the Xbox Scorpio dev kit. Hmm. Um, now, keep in mind, this is the dev kit, and it's the one right in front there. And I love this photo because those are all the Xbox dev kits ever. So you can see the very first Xbox with the green clear top. And you can see all the Xbox 360 dev kits, and then the two Xbox Ones, and then Scorpio in front there. So it's very easy to say, oh, it's just a dev kit. Don't get too bent out of shape over it. But if you look at all those dev kits... They all look like... What the final like hardware them, looked like. More or less. And so more than 50%, I'm saying what you're looking at right there is Xbox Scorpio. Probably in a different color scheme, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. not. I mean, the color schemes they used for their dev kits for the other Xbox ones, they weren't. They ended up being the real, the real. Yeah, I, I color wouldn't, schemes. I wouldn't expect it to be white. I wouldn't maybe either. It's, maybe it's all black. But if you think about it, launch Xbox black, Xbox One S white, mm -hmm. and maybe they're trying to combine the two. Maybe for I, I think they'll. Scorpio. I think it'll be all black, just because to avoid confusion. Okay. So that's color. What about the form factor of that, though? Yeah, it's pretty much in line with what they've been doing. Why? Big, Why is just a box? Probably because most people just don't look at their damn system that often. Yeah? It's, it's, a, it's a thing that goes in the shelf, and you put the disc in, and you play the game, and that's it. I, I, I mean, you don't care about console form factor? Not really. I mean... I like it when they look cool, but it's like, does it matter to me? No. Am I gonna not buy a system because it doesn't look cool? No. Like that's, it doesn't. It's not a thing. I mean, I mean, yeah, you want it. To, I guess you want it to be a sexy piece of hardware or whatever, but it's not a not a deal breaker for me. You don't think the average consumer though cares about how it looks? Because a lot. Look, we have every console, and so they all kind of blend together in your entertainment center. Mm. But for a lot of people, underneath their TV, they have their mm. cable or satellite box. If they box. cared that much about how something looked, the Wii wouldn't have sold 100 million units. <laughs> well, I think... The some... white box. There's nothing to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, actually. Um, so you don't think it makes any difference what the uh, Scorpio looks like? No, I think that's an enthusiast thing. I, think, I mean, it would be cool if it was a more interesting design. Like, you know, if it had a little bit of a sleekness to it, maybe. But, like... If it doesn't, it's it's going to live or die on its games. Oh, for sure. I mean, hardware games. always does. But uh, it was one of the big stories of this week, and I just thought we'd take a look at it. Actually, can you go back to that uh, still image real quick, Sam? Size-wise, it looks like the same size as the original Xbox One. Yeah. There's perspective going on there, so obviously it's going to be bigger, it bigger shorter. in the picture. But look, it, looks about, it looks more like closer to the slim size to me. You think? Slim's on the left, right? Yeah. It looks more like slim size, maybe a little taller. It looks like it looks like it's between the two to me. It looks oh, to me from the perspective and everything. It looks almost exactly the size as the launch Xbox One. Because you figure that yeah. back is going to be smaller in the image because it's farther away. But if you actually extrapolate that out with the lines, it looks like they line up. But I'm think, okay think, with that. Hey, think, if that, they can squeeze, I think, width, I think width is about the same as the launch Xbox One, but I think it's shorter. It might be. I don't think it's as tall. But hey, if they can get all that kit. Plus an internal power supply into a box that's the same size as the original Xbox One. I'm totally cool with that. I have yeah. no problem with it. 
I'd be happier if it was smaller, but totally cool with that. And here's a stack of them, which also leads me to believe it's like you can see they're mass producing these things at this point. I really think that's what Scorpio is going to look like. Uh, sure. Colors. Can I mean, be I don't see. Yeah, I mean, I don't see them like breaking from their their their, their rectangular rectangular. Thing. I mean, maybe, I mean the only thing I think you see maybe like the color might be a little you know give it a little pop yeah. somehow. I'd like to see a black and red system. Hmm. Um, I know the green is their thing, um, but I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of a. I don't know. Maybe I'm watching too much Fast and the Furious. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering too how what the uh, name of it's going to ultimately be. Yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't expect it to have like a scorpion tail on the back or anything. Well, they already said it's not going to be called Scorpion no matter right. what. So um, they ha they're going to come up with a new name. Uh, I think the nomenclature for that will be really important because the Xbox boom. Right, because, you know, Microsoft even came out this week and said, you know, it's not really about generations anymore. Right. Basically saying it's the stuff that Pactor's been saying ever since we launched Pactor Factor is that generations are going away. And that's essentially what Microsoft said this uh, said this week when these images came out and after the stuff with Eurogamer and Digital Foundry that it did. Um, the Xbox 4000. But, seri I mean, seriously, yeah. like, whatever it names it is... It I mean, Xbox 4K would be the most straightforward marketing name. That, like, just to be like, hey, this does 4K. And That's that would it be... what it's here to do. It would also be the fourth F Xbox. Yeah. 4K. That makes too much sense. Yeah. Maybe that's exactly where they're headed. And then everyone's going to call it the fork. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than <laughs> X-Bone. Better than the bone. <laughs> I'm, I'm still amused that they didn't see that coming. Yeah. They were so angry and shocked when that happened. It's still in our admin on Sifted. It's called X-Bone. And I remember when, I, <laughs> when uh, Brent first set it up, I sent him an email. And I'm like, take that out. I'm like, just call it Xbox One. I'm like, I don't like that a derogatory term for it's in there. It's kind of a pet name. Well, right. right. Well, then he wrote back, okay, I'll do And he never did. No. <laughs> well, he's also like, I mean, it's a Bay Area thing. But, like, there's a radio station in the Bay Area that plays, like, I mean, they say it's, it's kind of oldies, but it's actually music when we were kids. You know, yeah. it's how, like, oldies are, like, Metallica now. Yeah. Um, it's, but it's, 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 uh, it's 1077. Think about that. The Bone. Yeah. And so, like, for years, I mean, 1077. The bone, like yeah. to me, the bone is like a cool nickname for the for the Xbox. right. But I think it was originally I mean, it was intentionally used intended as a derogatory. Insult, sure. Yeah, it was a derogatory term. But I, I always used. thought they should have embraced it. Right, just be like, here's the it's the bone. You know, Maybe you they make... should just call it the X bone and just yeah. separate the X and the. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and again, we're going to be getting a lot more on that uh, in the coming six, eight weeks. Actually, E three is not that far away now. Eight weeks, probably, until mm -hmm. E3. So it won't be long. We're going to have all our questions are going to be answered on a lot of stuff coming up very soon. Uh, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Uncharted 4. Uh, so we got a new trailer for the Uncharted 4 Story DLC, which actually, that's probably not even the right thing to call it, because it's going to be a standalone product. Yeah, it's, that, like, it's almost like an, an expansion yeah, I mean, it's not even... It's its own game. Right, set it's, in the same universe. Well, it's like I'm thinking about, like... Um, I'm stuck on the Star Wars thing now, but I'm thinking about, like, Mysteries of the Sith for, yeah. Je for Jedi Knight 1. Right, right, which right. Which is, like, it's, it's a whole standalone story. It just uses the same engine, but it's an expansion pack. You know? Yeah. It reminds me of that. So, new information came out in addition to the new trailer. Actually, the information came out before the trailer. Uh... Over 10 hours long, although some people have tried to debunk that Naughty Dog ever said that. Essentially, Naughty Dog just never confirmed that it was over 10 hours long. Mm -hmm. It never said it wasn't over 10 hours long. And the price that's being bandied about right now is $40, Matt. Yep. How do you feel about that? 
That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. But it's again, I've played more money than that for shorter games that were probably of lesser quality. You've paid $60 for a game that was 10 hours or Yeah, I guess yeah. I have many times, actually. Yeah. That's pretty long for a single-player campaign. I get that's about average, I think, for a single-player yeah, campaign. I think about average is about eight. For, for, for the, about eight yeah. hours. For your average, like, shooter-action-oriented thing. I mean, to the, to the point that... Uh, right, but I, the idea is that you're getting this multiplayer suite that comes with it that yeah, is but that, pl- replayable for That's not why infinity. I bought any Uncharted game ever, so... Yeah, a lot of people. A lot, I mean, look, a lot of people won't say that they bought it primarily for for multiplayer, but I think a lot of people would also say that having that multiplayer there helped convince me to buy it on day one, knowing that once I finished, I had a lot more to play. There are some people that love Uncharted's multiplayer. Yeah, by the way. I'm just. I'm not I've, one of them, but yeah, I'm not. I didn't play a single second of multiplayer in three or four. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a I couple people when I worked at GT that loved the Uncharted multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Like, preferred to play it more than, like, any other multiplayer. So it certainly has its fans. Or Last of Us. I never, I never played much of that either. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like, yeah, it's pricey, but when you think about what, you know, even as someone who wasn't over the moon on Uncharted 4, um, my main reason I wasn't over the moon was I didn't care about Sam. And this is about Chloe, and I like Chloe a lot. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I'm in. I, I feel like 40 bucks is a pretty small price to pay for the level of quality that Naughty Dog tends to deliver. I think it's too much. Might be too much, but I don't know. There's like probably three developers on the planet that could charge that kind of premium for their stuff, and I'd say Naughty Dog's. And I feel like that's what is exactly what it's doing. You're paying a Naughty Dog tax to some degree, yeah. Yeah, I feel like they're saying, "Look, like we know that you guys are going to buy this. We can. They probably know they can charge. They're probably looking at it like our fans will pay sixty for this. We're going to give them a break and charge forty. Probably. (laughs) I mean, and I look. I get it. I mean, they're, literally, their fans would pay $60 for this, even if it is 10 hours long or whatever. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, when I first heard 10 hours, I was like, holy crap, 10 hours? <laughs> and then they're like, for $40? And I was like, $40? <laughs> <laughs> it was this weird string of emotions that, that happened when I found out about it. But, I mean, I don't know if we've had DLC for a console game that costs 40 bucks. And I guess maybe Naughty Dog's trying to change the whole perspective and not call it DLC. And, in fact... They don't call it DLC. Mm-hmm. It's not even called Uncharted 4, colon. It's right. just Uncharted and no number in there at all. So it's like they're trying to make people at least subconsciously think mm-hmm. that this is this whole standalone new product, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just like, you know, in theory, it could be about the, the size and robustness of a standard Uncharted campaign. They just don't charge you 20 bucks for the multiplayer. Well, the first Uncharted, I guess. Ones after that were a little longer than that. Yeah, they, I mean, they're 15-ish hours. Yeah. But uh, if I'm being honest, a couple of those, a few of those hours dragged a little bit. Oh, yeah, at the end when you, you're going into, like, your 10th room in a row, you have to clear yeah. out all the enemies, and it's just, they're just adding rooms to pad out the length of the game, essentially. Um, so you're okay. $40, if it does end up being ten, around 10 hours, you're okay paying $40 for that 10 hours. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I... I'll do it because yeah. <laughs> I because I have to. I'm right. not okay with it though. I think that that's. I, think that's I mean, what, I certainly would prefer it was thirty, but it's not going to stop me from buying it. Right. I feel like that's taking advantage of your fans a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Some I mean, of their glutton for punishment, right? <laughs> yeah, but at the, at the same time, it's like you know that level of fidelity doesn't come for free. Yeah. So if that's if that's what they think their product is worth, that's what it's worth. And if you want to pay it, pay it, or don't pay it, and you know. 
not to get all libertarian on you, but the market will decide. Right. Or work. just don't pay at all and wait for it to be cheaper. Right. And then the next time Naughty Dog tries to do something like this... They'll be like, oh, we didn't sell to our targets. And, we'll and it'll be what bucks. it should be, which should be like 25 or $30 max. Yeah. At least that's my opinion. That's what I would feel comfortable paying I, for. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a few hours less, but like, look, it's it's they're still putting the same level of effort. They're still putting that amount of production work. They're still you know they're still spending a ton of money to make this thing happen. Like, it's not it's not a crazy price. I think it's a crazy price. I don't. They're not spending anywhere near as much on this as they did for the first Uncharted, though. All the engine and everything is there. A lot of the work has been done already. Yeah, but you still got to hire all the talent. You got to do all the mocap. You got to do all the the little like nitty gritty stuff. You got to model every damn Chinese food container that falls <laughs> off the barrel when you walk past it for five seconds. You know, like yeah. there's a lot. I mean, these these people work hard on these things. I'll be interested to see what the response is in the comments for this episode to see if people are okay with. Uh, $40 for a 10-hour campaign. I mean, I'm not begging for it to be 40 bucks. Like, make it $40 or you're right, right. ripping yourselves up. It's like, but you're saying you're okay with I'm it. I'm saying fine. Yeah, sure. If you want to charge that, fine. I mean, would I be fine with, like, I don't know, EA charging 40 bucks for a standalone Mirror's Edge expansion? No, I would not buy that. You know? But what these about guys, a standalone 10-hour campaign for Battlefront 2 for $40? Sure. Yeah. Well, if it proved good the first time. I mean, I wouldn't... By like this campaign blindly. blindly, yeah. But if this one's awesome and they want to pay, charge me forty bucks for a Battlefront Mysteries of the Sith expansion, yeah, I'd think about that. All right, all right. Let's move on. We're going to talk lastly about ukulele. Um, full disclosure: I was a big fan of Rare's games during the N sixty four era. Uh, I was a big fan of three D platformers during the N sixty four era. Mm. I don't know that you could be a fan of the genre in, in any other era because the yeah, it was kind of of its time. Yeah, I mean the genre just kind of disappeared. I was a big fan of Banjo Kazooie. I did not like Banjo Tooie as much, and I hated Donkey Kong sixty four. Okay, um, uh, I my, my bona feeds. I mean, I would say Mario sixty four is probably my favorite of that era. My favorite is Banjo, and to the point that actually before this game came <clears> out, <throat> I played, I booted up the Rare Replay Banjo Kazooie first one and played a couple worlds of that just to kind of remind myself a little bit and kind of like get the feel on it like remember what I was playing back then and what I like about that and then it's like so I could compare it directly to ukulele and um that that turns out maybe it wasn't fair to ukulele to do that <laughs> of rare's platformers for the N64 I would go Conker's Bad Fur Day number 1 yeah Ooh. for me Kazooie and Tooie are tough I didn't like Tui very much. Well, I, we're going to get into why yeah. you didn't like it, and I can totally understand that. But, and I get that it was a it was a, almost bloated in some ways, mm -hmm. um, and more confusing T than it needed to be. Tui and Donkey Kong sixty four are the to me are emblematic of how rare. Just there's a point at which you can't just keep making it quote, bigger, unquote, bigger and better. Yeah. You know, it's just like it got out of hand. And Conquer I like a lot more because it brought it all back. To a more constrained location, and I mean, it was pretty funny for the time. I don't know if I'd find it funny now if I went back and played it again. Well, you've those. heard all the jokes. Heard all the jokes a lot, and I'm also I'm not like 22 anymore. Yeah, so like, I'd just be like, that bee is just disgusting. Like, I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would go conquer, and then I'd probably have to go just barely Kazooie over Tui, and then Donkey Kong 64, but. I loved all of them. All of them. Even Donkey Kong 64. The only one of the four that I did not 100%. I 
I had one challenge left that I could never solve and never did do it. I could not do it in time. I think I got through like two or three worlds on Donkey Kong and just put it down and never wanted to see it again. I, yeah. hate, I hated the character switching thing. I liked it. Um, the fa- I mean, it would have been different if you could switch on the fly, but you had to go back to the damn pad and then go back and then you couldn't see where the bananas were because the draw distance was so terrible on yeah. the collectible. The, the closest I got to finishing Donkey Kong 64 was watching Greg Bemis 100% it in the game lab and extended play, <laughs> um, which he one day just decided he was going to do. And I'm like, all right, I'll watch that because I sure as hell don't want to do it myself. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was like watching a man cut his own flesh every afternoon. It was like the, he, he, he would dread going in there, that, that room, and play that some more. He played it at night. I really like that game. I don't know. I know a lot of people For don't. me, I would, if, if you could switch characters on the fly... And if you could see the damn collectibles from a distance... No, that was a problem. Definitely. That would solve my problems yeah. with that game. It was yeah. just the fact that constantly making me go back and switch to this guy, come over here, and then realizing, oh, I need somebody else to do that, go back to it, come back to it. Even with the RAM expansion, Rare overdid it. Yeah. It's, it's too like much. we gave you this extra little bit of RAM, and you still couldn't get it to where it needed to be. I just, to me, the fact that you can't see the golden bananas more than like 100 yards out is insane. That's a huge mistake. It is insane. Because that's how you know where you need to go. No, you're right. Like you should be, and ukulele to his credit, you know, does, you know, the draw distance is insane because it's huge out there. And like you can get, if you can get high enough and look around, you can generally tell where you need to be. Yeah. Um, So, so they solved that problem. Yeah. Okay. 20 years later. Before we start talking about ukulele, the last thing I want to say about sort of that whole era of 3D platformers. And, and I want to talk about a consistent criticism that a lot of people level at it and have been leveling at it for a long time. And that's calling them collect-a-thons. And, I honestly have never understood why people are so obsessed with the fact that you're picking up something all the time. I, it has eluded me since 1998. Like, I just don't get it because if that's all you did, sure, nobody just wants to collect shit. But they're just things along the way as you accomplish your bigger goals and then at the end they give you a banana or a star or whatever that is irrelevant like i always felt like people just tried to find a cheap way to cheapen the genre by saying they're all collect-a-thon you gotta collect that you don't really have to collect anything you have to complete objectives to get a star or whatever that you use to unlock more objectives and i never understood why Getting a star after you completed something is so different than a cutscene or whatever. Like, I just feel like this has been this criticism against 3D platformers from the very beginning, and I've never understood it. I remember I worked at, when I worked at GameSpot, everybody there was like, oh, just collect-a-thon, just collect everything. And I'm like, well, you can, but it's like you said earlier, those objects are there as a guidepost to tell you, hey, you haven't been here yet. They help you Mm -hmm. discover new areas where you can complete new objectives. And talking about Banjo-Tooie, it was a huge help in Banjo-Tooie because the way the... the alternative is like the thing people complain about now where you just get a map with all the icons on exactly where to go find everything. That, or just wandering a... around like an idiot having no idea where to go. Right. Because Tooie, that was how much it changed so drastically was in the overworld. Mm-hmm. Banjo-Kazooie's overworld was so simple. You walk out of his house and you kind of see everything. You're like, I need to go there. Once I get enough of jiggies, I can go here and unlock this. And you know what you're doing. Tui was this like huge overworld. Mm-hmm. It was sprawling and had all these. You get it, lost all the time. You do, and because you in. There's people complain about getting lost in ukuleles overworld. 
Nuh-uh. It's nothing compared to Not Tui. compared to Banjo-Tooie. No. And if you don't have those collectibles there, because what happens in that game is you're wandering around trying to figure out where you need to go. You see that trail of whatever, and you're like, there. That's where I need to go. And it, like you said earlier, when you get up high... And you start looking around, you know, to see farther, and you see that little trail of whatever it is. You're like, that's where I need to go. Mm-hmm. They're like guideposts to help you complete and move through the game. And I feel like people just, all they can think about is, oh, when I hit pause, I see how many of this I mm-hmm. have, how many of this I have. And, and the only people who are concerned about that are people who want 100% it. If you're just playing through the game, that stuff doesn't even matter. If you don't care about finding, like, all the secrets in the hidden areas, that stuff doesn't matter. So... Well, I do like that stuff. I never, never, but I like collecting all the chests and feathers in Assassin's Creed. Right, so, right. I mean, I, I just, I think that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just something that's bothered me right. for a long time. But that's time. also why I complain so much about Donkey Kong 64 having the draw distance problem is because it if, I, if that. I can't see that line of colored bananas, yeah. just like, you know, it's like in, in this game, like if you, or Banjo, you see the, the musical notes somewhere, you see the, the quills and the u- ukulele, it also tells you you can get up here. Right. Like, this yeah. is a place you want to try to get to, so yeah. you should try to do that. And you won't waste your time trying right. to get there if there's not the signpost there. And Donkey Kong 64 lacking that through a giant monkey wrench <laughs> into <laughs> the whole way, the way the game works. It yeah. broke the game for me because I used that, like you say, I used that well, as the, a signpost. The other so. thing was the overworld in that game, they had kind of learned from Tui. Right. And they kind of dialed it back a little bit. It wasn't as overwhelming and yeah. sort of loud. Yeah, over- I mean, Tui has the worst overworld. Oh, yeah. By far. It's just, That's it's, where Rare was like... <laughs> they always went off the freaking rail. It seemed like they had no supervisor. They had a lot project. of problems. And, you know, Tui yeah. also the problem. Yeah, because I never finished it because I got so frustrated with you continually run into things you couldn't do. Yeah. And I could never quite tell if I couldn't do it because I was doing it wrong or because I didn't have didn't some have move right I didn't know yet. about. Yet. Yeah, yeah. And that became so discouraging that I eventually put the game down. Well, it also, the other, and I don't want to turn this whole topic into Banjo Tui topic, right. but the other problem with Banjo Tui was that. Sometimes, in, in ukuleles like this too, you're in the ice world or whatever, and you've completed most of the world, and you find this thing that you can't, you know, you, mm. you, know you, sh- you can do something with, but you can't do anything with it yet. Leave it behind, you go on. And this was the way it was in Tui as well. And then you'd pick up something like later on, like 12 hours or 15 hours of gameplay later, you finally get that thing that you needed back to go back to that ice level and get into that new area, and you can't figure out how to find your way back, back to, to it. it. And then when you do, you get in and you need another movie you right, don't yeah. have yet to actually get the jiggy that's in the... Th- it was just... Yeah. I, I just... There's a point... You know, we've said it before, but it's like at a certain point, you have to admit that the game hates you. Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't care if you're having a good time or not. Yeah. Banjo 2 crossed that line about three times per level. And anyway, the reason I brought up the whole collect-a-thon thing, which still irks me to this day, is because I started seeing it in lazy reviews for ukulele. Mm-hmm. I saw that phrase, collect-a-thon, collect-a-thon. Like, in some reviews, like, 10 or 15 times, I'm like, man, I hate that... A misguided sort of misnomer because it's funny you say, has become can- sort of canon when discussing a well, genre. Well, it's funny that you say that because when I see Collectathon, I think, oh, cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> I like picking up everything. I think for a lot of people, that was a derogatory thing. I think so. you're right. You're right. But, like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't dissuade me when I, right. when I read that. It's because there's been a lot of Collectathons I enjoy very much. And like you said... Stop even, using that word. <laughs> but even, but even like, like with, say, like the, the chess in Assassin's Creed 2, like you say, it wasn't about, oh, I have to collect every chest. It was about, like, how do you get to that chest? Right. You, the, the, the interesting part of, of navigating the environment to find the thing. Okay. And, um, 
And I always find that worthwhile if the game is fun to play on that kind of moment-to-moment -moment basis, and usually these games are. Yep. Uh, unless they're Donkey Kong 64. <laughs> all right, so now that we have all this sort of context from where we're both coming from when evaluating ukulele, let's talk about ukulele. Mm -hmm. um, start. Um, well, I put about six some hours into it. Uh, I've been to every level. There's only five levels. Yeah. Uh, plus the overworld. It's a much smaller game than. Yeah. And the way they try to get around that Some is when you initially efforts. go into a level, uh, it's the level is the level, and then you can once you I think once you collect at least one pagey, uh, which is the, the Add an IE onto anything equivalent of uh, of the jiggies and the and the stars in this one is you uh, you go back out and you can you can spend a certain number of pages to expand the level, which uh, adds a whole not usually another section onto it. Uh, at one point, in one of the levels, it just gives you keys to open two locked places, at which point uh, Laylee, who's the bat, uh, complains about how lame that is as a reward. The game points out its own flaws a lot in the dialogue, which I find equally interesting and annoying. It's so peculiar. It's like... It's like you knew that wasn't a good reward for doing that, so why are you pointing so, it out as though it makes it any better? Right, and so instead of taking the time to create write the script and get the script into the game why don't you just fix it yeah <laughs> and just and then not mention it mm -hmm. and you're right like this game there uh, there's a certain level of self-deprecation in games that you appreciate right you're like hey like i like that this de these developers are down to earth enough to get that there are certain parts that they didn't exactly nail and that was part and of banjo well. it was a little bit there, there was a little bit of fourth wall poking a here little and there. this one is just like basically talking to you it's, this time. game it's like that it tries to convince you the whole time it's a bad game <laughs> i was just i'm i can't believe how often they use it like it also starts to lose its impact after a while. Like, breaking the fourth wall is cool once or twice, but when the whole game does it, it just doesn't matter anymore. You feel like you're living in, like, this bizarro world. And the other thing, too, that I've found about ukulele that isn't up to scratch with the older Rare games is the writing. The writing in this is terrible compared to the old Banjo games. Like, the Banjo games were great because... Adults could play them, and kids could play them. There was all kinds of innuendo hidden in, in the text that if a kid read it, he'd have no clue what they were talking about. But it was one of those games where a dad could play it with his son or daughter. The kids are laughing at it for completely different reasons from the parent. And in this game, the writing, it just... I don't think I laughed once in the whole game. No, I don't think I have. And I laughed out loud playing Banjo-Kazooie I don't know how many times. Like, there is lots of clever little scripts and... Mm -hmm. And it understood, the other thing too is it did a better job of developing characters, even though there was no voice acting. Just with the way they wrote their earlier games, like you could get an idea of the type of person that each character in the world was. And this is just like, it's another something with eyeballs. Like, mm -hmm. Which is even one of the enemies. Right. They're literally rare eyeballs that jump onto any nearby object and turn it into an enemy. Right. Which I Again, get. which is self-deprecating yeah. humor. It's like but that's a, that's a much funnier joke than most of what they're doing in the dialogue. Well, if you remember in Conker's Bad Fur Day, there was like a broom with eyeballs on it. That's when, right. and see, that was the breaking point. That's where Rare took it to its most absurd. It said, we're going to put eyeballs on a broom and you're going to like it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like they made fun of the fact that it was a broom with eyeballs. Like, 
But it knew it had hit the hilt. Yeah. It had gone as far as it could at that point. Like this, and like here, this character. Well, you can't see him now, but like he's trousers. The, trou- trouser. He's a snake. Trousers. Trouser snake. snake. But he's also wearing pants. Yeah. But like that's the joke. And right. That's that's, a, that's one of the best puns they got. It really. is the best. It's it's kind of a it's the whole game is kind of a giant dad joke. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense because the people who were once sort of on the cutting edge of writing all that stuff in the old in the nineties are now dads. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that's I'm, what we get. I'm really disappointed in the writing in this game. Yeah, and also like like Yuka and Laylee kind of feel like watered down versions of Banjo and Kazooie. Like, like Do you, you like Yuka and Laylee? I like Laylee okay, but Laylee is still most most of her personality comes from the exact same things that made Kazooie herself. Like She's uh, rude and like mildly like speciesist and really like money driven and greedy and impatient and that's about it. And that's Kazooie. It's the exact same character. Yeah, and but Yuka is sort of good natured and dumb a little bit and just sort of like, not like Banjo. Not the though. same way. Ban- Banjo's a big dopey bear. Right. Yuka's more like sort of everyman ish. He doesn't I just have a personality. Feel like Yuka really. is nothing. Yeah. I hate Yuka. I do not care about that character at all. It has nothing. Like Banjo Kazooie were great. They were like this duo. You had like the dumb strong bear and you had the really smart but weak bird. And both of them knew their roles and knew that the other one complimented each other, but that didn't keep them from sort of going after each other. Like these characters, and look, I, I they probably didn't even have the budget to do a lot of research on these characters, but they just do nothing for me. And like I'd agree, I like Laylee more than I like Yuka. But well, because Laylee has a personality. Yeah. But I mean She has Kazooie's personality, but she still has one. Kazooie was amazing. That is one of that was it Kazooie was bet, the better of the two between Banjo and yeah. Kazooie. Well, also because Kazooie had better characters to work from. Like right. be, Kazooie had better characters to bounce off. To work basically. off of, yeah. Um so if from that perspective, from the story, from the characters, from it just being interesting, it is a clear cut below mm-hmm. what came before it. And look, that's what I want to talk about with this game. Is it Making a game as good as Banjo-Kazooie still wasn't going to be good enough in this day and age. You can't... Those games came out 20 years ago. You can't say your goal is to create a game exactly like a game that came out 20 years ago and say that's good enough. It wasn't... It isn't good enough, and it never was going to be good enough. And for Platonic to think that that was the case, just because people... Just because people were asking for Banjo-3E... For 20 years, it wasn't that they just wanted what you had created of Banjo 3E 20 years mm-hmm. ago. They wanted the story of those two characters to continue in a modern context. And that's not what you get here. You really just get a 1990s 3D platformer, albeit in HD. And it is a pretty game. I don't know what version you've been playing, but uh, but it's a pretty game. Um, it's... Lacks a little polish here and there. You can see camera issues right there. The camera's really bad. And, and the camera goes out of that. His, cameras goes out of his way to be bad. So, like when you go into a new room, the camera's pointed at the door looking at you face on. Yeah. And I can't count the number of times that's happened. And I've tried to move to recenter the camera and I've walked off a cliff. Yeah. Or I've like gotten hit by something that was out off camera. Like there's a lot of stuff off and, and see that's the difference between having a studio like Rare 
in a publisher like Nintendo, where you have that huge QA department. Like, look at that. Oh, that I know. Was, that was, yeah. That's real bad. It and is it, bad. And I pl- in that section, that section right there, you cannot control where the camera looks. Yep. Like, it's, you're stuck there. But once you're an indie developer, and I think that's really what the problem with this game in general is, is that it's an indie game. And I, I will mm-hmm. say... I do like that bit of... Uh, that's one of the few bits of animation I really like, is if you fall too far... Yuko lays face face down on the ground, and Laylee pulls him up. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a couple of little moments in yeah, this yeah. game. And I will say, I mean, can you think of any other indie games that are even in the same league as oh, Ukulele? No. This, this, I mean, this... If you told me this was, like, like a first or second party Sony game, I believe. Oh, it. yeah. In a heartbeat. And that's why I think, you know... People are being a little tough on this game. And maybe I'm mm. being a little tough on it, too. Because, again, I'm a big fan of the games that, that this, these guys made in the 90s. But really, if you think about what Platonic did with the money it had and the staff that it had, it's a freaking miracle this game is. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that's irrelevant when you're telling somebody whether a game is worth spending their money on or not. And the truth of the matter is this is an indie game that they're asking $40 for. They're not asking mm-hmm. $15 or $20 for. If they were asking $15 or $20 for this game, I guarantee you it would have got much higher reviews and a lot more critics would have been a lot, mm-hmm. a lot more apt to recommend it. Um, Which is, a, I think, what you paid if you were a Kickstarter backer. Right. So, well done. Well done. Yeah, you got <laughs> your that. money's worth for yeah. that. Um, you had to wait a little longer maybe than you thought. Although it wasn't yeah. delayed too badly. I mean, every, I mean, look, every Kickstarter project is. Any Kickstarter that is, a, you know, basically if, if you're a year past your delivery date from a Kickstarter campaign, I say you're still on time. Yeah, yeah. Every game is about a year late. Now, one thing I will say is that, you know, we're talking about the story and the characters and... One thing I would argue is that those are probably some of the least important elements to Mm -hmm. a 3D platformer. When it comes down to it, it's like, how does the game feel to play? Does the jumping feel good? Does does the frame rate hold up so you can count on those platforms being where they're supposed to be on on time? The other thing about 3D platformers is, is that they're not just about platforming. They have... That's one of the reasons I love the genre so much is because they usually have so much variety. They'll have, like, kart racing. They'll have first person shooting. They'll have crazy little mini games to play. And that's another area where I feel like Playtonic not having a big QA team to test this game really foiled it. Because I feel like a lot of the little sort of side stuff in this game is not handled especially well. Mm-hmm. Like anything that strays away from the platforming, I feel like feels oh, yeah. janky. There's a early, I think it's this level. Uh, once you expand it, there's a boss battle to fight against Rampo, who's a ramp. Yeah. Because... Because that's... Of course he is. <laughs> so you have to use the little roll move to go up the ramp and hop over logs that he's rolling down. And the camera is uncontrollable and it's positioned just so you can't see the logs coming down at you. Yeah. The only challenge is because it won't show you what you can see, what you're supposed to be able to see and jump over. Right. So you basically have to, like, do, you have to really work against the game to make it work. And also the physics of the sliding and the physics of the of the... The ramps and and how they stick to the ramp and 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 how they you know go straight is very bad in this game. I think I think the physics are a, a little off. Um, I know you haven't gotten to the point, but there's a there's another ramp related challenge outside of the final book world, which I think most people won't be able to complete. Really, it's so bad. And it's bad because the design is bad. It's not bad because oh you know the Dark Souls get good. It's like no. This is just, I'm, you're fighting the game. You're not 
having trouble completing the challenge because the challenge is challenging. You're having trouble because the game isn't behaving the way it's supposed to. It's not giving you a pattern to follow. It's not giving you physics you can rely on. You know, even I've slid down how many ramps in this game, and I, he and Yuka yeah. still doesn't land where I think he's going to land. Half That's the time. a big issue. The physics in the game, like you know how Mario, you know we've mentioned on the show before, Miyamoto, he's just the character's a block. Yeah, he's like if it's fun controlling a block. When I slap Mario's skin and his body on it, it's going to be a blast. And I don't feel like that was the approach that Platonic took when they made this game. Because it's just, it's the just controls a little not, too mushy. It just doesn't... It feels too floaty. Yeah. And that's the worst thing you can have in a 3D platformer mm-hmm. is the jumping and feel it, floating. And it gets worse when you, you, know, you can... Uh, every, it, just like in the Banjo games, there were, you know, Mumbo uh, had, it was able to turn you into a different thing yeah. in every level. In this one, uh, the, the substantially less racist, um, <laughs> uh, Dr. Puzz, she's an octopus. Yeah. You have to find uh, molecule, which is a molecule. Yeah. Actually, an atom. Is, is, it's, it's a symbol, like the it's conventional symbol of an atom. And yeah, you give it to her. Right here. Yeah, yeah, and then it turns you into whatever. So in this one, it turns him into a, a plant that he then can spray pollen on female plants. Uh, which is sort of run as a sex joke, but also doesn't really go anywhere. But but that um, is kind of what I was talking about. But, the, but with, I'm like, thinking about games. but I'm thinking about the ice the ice level, which is the second one after this, where it turns you into a snowplow, and then you have to do some platforming to get to the last things the snowplow has to run over and clear up. And I was ready to kill whoever made that part of the game. I, it, yeah. it was. Because it skids everywhere, it does donuts when you don't want it to, you're already on an ice level, so you're already have no traction, and then to try to turn it around, the camera won't cooperate, and your rate, turn radius is ridiculous, and then combine it. I mean, 15, 16 tries, probably, and hopping up the same platforms <laughs> over and over again, and, I'm just, and I had to do it because it's part of a, a, an ongoing sort of quest that if you turn it off, it resets it, and you have to do it all over again, and I wanted to go to bed. And I'm just like, I have to finish this, or I have to do it again. Uh-huh. And I, I, I finally, I'm not I did. doing that. Not doing it again. And I, <laughs> and no one should. My, my, uh, my, my girlfriend walked by like, when I was playing it the other, like last night or the night before, and she's, she's like, oh, playing this. And she's like, you never look like you're having a good time when you're playing this game. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I guess you're right. You're probably right. Like I'm not. I, I don't really enjoy much of it because I always feel like. I'm about to be betrayed. Yeah. I mean, look, the challenge in this game is, is pretty much on par with Rare's older yeah. games. I mean, Rare, there was always that jiggy or five or ten in the Banjo games that were hard as balls. Mm-hmm. I just you had to try I, them over and over I just again. I feel like Banjo's it. physics were, are much reliable. more reliable. Yeah, than I agree. This. And the, I mean, the camera's still, I mean, playing Banjo again on Rare Replay, the camera is like I, the most, the biggest takeaway for me was like, how? How did we do this? Oh, I was. On top of that, how did we do this when it ran at like 20 frames a second? Like, it was, I mean, we, we were very tolerant children. Well, in the early 3D era, controlling a camera was a skill. Yeah. I mean, it was something like I would watch somebody play Mario 64 and it would drive me crazy. Mm. Like, what are you doing? Because I got so good at like using the camera that I would frame it like it was cinematic while I was playing. Like, and you'd go over to your buddy's house and he'd just be trying to like jump at the camera into like, you're like, bro, what are you doing, man? Like, you're gonna, and you make you sick to your stomach, like watching people play like that. It used to be a skill. Yeah. Like, being able to manage the camera while you're playing, not only to just give yourself a good view so you can play better, but to just make it more interesting to watch. The other thing that I, I had forgotten about until I played banjo again, you know, off that was like, 
especially because early on I'd play on the Rare Replay, I only played the first level. Now I'm more in like Clanker's Cavern and Bubble Gloop Swamp and stuff like that. And I'd forgotten how often you had, because the camera wouldn't show you necessarily what you needed to see, you had to go into first person mode and look around. Yeah, yeah. Which is not a thing you do anymore, really, no, in games. Uh -uh. Um, if you're not in a first person, you, usually the camera can tilt where you need to see. Well, either that or the game just shows, shows you where you, where you go. Is, right. Yeah, and, and they're not quite as obvious anymore. So that, that has certainly changed over time. But um, I don't know, Matt, what would you pay for ukulele? I mean, obviously you paid full price for it, but... No, I got, a pre I got about half off through a, oh. a, a series of coupons and pre-order discounts. Um, but... Uh, I I think like fifteen is about fair. Fifteen? Like, I would yeah. pay more than that. Fifteen twenty? Yeah, I would pay twenty twenty five dollars for it. I just I'm not. I don't know if I'm gonna finish. I mean, I've gotten through the five worlds mainly because I wanted all the moves because I got tired of the exact same thing with Banjo Tooie. I keep running into things where I'm like, oh, clearly it's better than Banjo Tooie, and that my problem with Banjo Tooie was I would run into situations where I wasn't sure if it, I was doing it wrong or if I just didn't have the move because if you're not aware of what moves are coming up, you may not know what you need. Ben, uh, ukulele is much better about showing you, okay, this thing has this broken glass here, and so you're clearly, you don't have a move that can break that, so you're going to need a move that's coming up later. So I felt like it was less of a, less confusing uh, in that regard, so I don't hate it in that regard. Um, but I just basically burned through all the levels once I got enough pages uh, to get all the moves so I could go back to where I'd been before and get everything as we go. Because so, I prefer to be able to complete the level, like, in kind of one round. Oh, what about the quizzes? What do you think of the quizzes? Which was a part of I, people banjo hate, games. Yeah, I mean, people really seem to hate this, the quizzes in this, but I kind of, kind of liked it. Like it was, it was. I can see why it would annoy the hell out of you if you aren't paying attention. They're paying attention, getting. yeah. Um, and sure, sure, I, I didn't remember how many pages I collected in the main hub. I didn't remember how many, uh, how many like notes I'd collected in one world or whatever. But like, you know, they give you three chances, and I, I never failed, you know, but either of them. Yeah, so. yeah. I, uh, I like it. It's, I, it's, it was a fun. I think it's overused it. in this game because I liked how in I think it was Tui at the end you do the quiz with Grunty. Was it Tui or the that was, first? That was one? the first one. That was the first one because you'd run into her sister periodically, right, right, right. and she'd tell you little stupid trivia things about. I liked it better when it was just kind of cordoned off into one thing that you did kind of at the end. Like mm. it spread out a little bit more in this well, one. I think there's, there's only two in this. Yeah, so it's not too bad. Yeah, I like it though. I think it's cool. Other games still don't really do it, and it's one of those ideas. I also think that that's legitimately funny. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that it's impeding your progress because you did, you haven't paid attention to how, like these incredibly niggling details. I can that, see. Where some people get really I angry. absolutely I can see why it would be frustrating <laughs> but it's just like you know and like they don't they, and they don't give you a break either because one of them I think was uh, how long have you spent playing this game yeah yeah and it was like oh, oh I know I've, I've played a little over six hours so I'll just be and it's all six hours 12 minutes six hours 13 minutes six <laughs> yeah. hours 17 minutes I'm like uh, ah yeah. that's I, just them messing yeah. with you though and I guess right yeah that's one look there there are flashes of their humor in here um, I don't know, honestly, if the writer who used to write for them came over yeah, and worked on this or not. But to me, there's a distinct drop yeah. in sort of the quality one, of the narrative. And one thing it definitely gets characters. right is how annoying everybody's sounds are. Yeah. Everyone makes incredibly annoying sounds. Uh, anyone who is not playing the game in the same room as you will hate you. Yeah. Um, and they even pointed out a couple of times. They're worse than they were in oh, yeah. the banjo games. Well, the case. worst is, I think, it's the swamp level. There's a there's a squeaky uh, shopping cart, <laughs> which is probably the most annoying sound I've ever heard in a yeah. platformer. And even I think Layla even comments about, what do we need to do to make you stop talking? 
So yeah, I mean, they're again, they're aware of it, and I guess that's part of the joke. Yeah, I mean, I think in closing, what I would say is, this... do I think it's a two out of ten? No, no, no. That's just Jim Sterling being Jim Sterling. But one thing I would say at the end here is that this is not a full price game. Yeah, it is a forty dollar game, which people are probably going to be able to get a lot cheaper on down the road. Would mm. I pay? $60 for this game? No. No. Heck no. In fact, I, we already went over what we would pay for it, but I feel like a lot of the people who are evaluating this game are evaluating it like you paid full price for this game. And mm. I can see why. That's a testament to the game, I believe, is that as they played it, they're like, I've played games that are far worse that cost $60. True. And uh, I think that may have just maybe bumped their impressions a little bit. It's not a bad game. It is a game yeah. that is that didn't evolve enough from what it was inspired right. by. On, and at the same time, I, if I didn't have warm, pleasant feelings about this subgenre, uh, this game would have left me very cold. I would not have finished. I would no. not finish it. There's no way you would finish it if you don't like this genre. So yeah, if you if you're thinking, hey, I didn't really get into that stuff in the '90s, but maybe this is going to change. No, this my is not going to. This is you. not it. No. This is not going to do that. This ain't going to change your mind. Is it? This is for if you if you boot up banjo and like you instantly hear that music and you're just like yay like if, yeah, if, yeah. if it if it makes you feel happy to to think about playing banjo or Donkey Kong sixty four that's th this game will will scratch that itch although it won't br maybe bring back the warm fuzzies the same way I think in some ways it may make you think that you were a little crazy a little bit <laughs> back maybe. in the nineties but you got to put it all in context and it's like what other products were on the market back then compared you know compared to what yeah there was, was nothing because on only the N sixty four could kind of do this game yeah. Um, I also, I, I didn't, I don't find the uh, the the music to be as uh, as good in this one in the sense of like it's not know, as good, but it's still really good. It's pretty good, but it's like it's like just the the use of the music in the in the old ones where like it would shift depending on what you were doing, where you were. I mean, it's not as pronounced in this. I guess it's more subtle, maybe. But like, I mean, I'm I played banjo in preparation for this last weekend, and I'm still humming that damn oh, music yeah. in my head. It's, no, that's some of the best like gaming music ever, the banjo. Yeah. But I think the music in this is still really good, man. It's fine. It's I, just, I thought I, it was really good. That was one of the things I thought was one of the best elements in the game, to be honest. So, teach their own music, especially. Obviously, some people don't even like entire genres that other people love. So that's mm. one of the more subjective things that's kind of hard to quantify. I love the music in uh, ukulele. So there you go. That's ukulele. Mm -hmm. We'll move on to our trailer of the week this week. Um, Would have been nice if we could have got the Star Wars one in there. Actually, there was a couple really good trailers this week. But I think the most important trailer from this week is a new trailer for Overwatch. Overwatch just launched mm -hmm. a brand new special event that's running until May 1st, I believe. I think it's past that, isn't it? I think it's to May, May 1st. 1st. Maybe it is. I believe right. so. The, the, I've only seen this trailer in French. So, oh. Because um, it, it leaked, <laughs> it leaked in, French. in French. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's called Overwatch Uprising, and it's a co-op special event that actually goes back to the very first mission that Tracer ever completed. Uh, get your questions in right now while we're watching the trailer. Let's roll it. This is Morrison. London has been attacked. King's Row has fallen. We're on the brink of open war. Hundreds are dead and thousands injured. Team, it's up to you. 
Lieutenant Wilhelm reporting. We will not let you down, Commander. We will save who we can. Blackwatch assets report heavy fortifications in the area. They have complete tactical control. You leave that to me. I've got something special planned. Strike team, we're counting on you. And keep the rookie safe. You can count on me, sir. There you have it, running until May 1st. I think I just mm -hmm. said right on the screen there. So you have a couple more weeks to get in on it. All the feedback about it has been amazing. Everyone loves it. Mm. A lot of people are saying now they just want a campaign so much more. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I, I think I said back when it came out, I think it wouldn't surprise me if Blizzard put something like that up eventually. Yeah. Um, it, once they've kind of decided how the lore flows. And, uh, you know, the PvE co-op stuff seems to be very well received on this, this event. Well, so. I think this event proves that they are not going to have to release Overwatch 2 to create a campaign. Yeah. Like, they could just totally just roll it out and even charge some for DLC or whatever, and mm -hmm. I think it would work. So, oh, to answer your questions, that Sam was saying a lot of people were asking, that was not me playing ukulele, by the way, or Matt. No. That was just for footage that we got. That was some, so. some infuriating person who doesn't know how to platform on floating platforms. Yeah. Sometimes it is get good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other thing I like about platformers is there's a lot of skill involved. Yeah, and I, I do, feel like the, I, I, I feel do like find ukulele it, lets you down a little bit in that regard. As far bit, as I have found that like it's it's very good. I, I it's very reliable in terms of where I land on like the floating platforms when you're just talking about straight up jumping, double jumping, and, and gliding. Yeah. Um, it's when you start having to use the special moves to do weird weird things that it just banjo is like a little guilty apart. of that too. Not on the level of this. No, no, no. no. But it's still like some of. Some of the more Kazooie-focused moves in the Banjo games were yeah. a little wonky. Plus, the other thing is I feel they went too far with... Because like, Kazooie always controlled a little weird. Like, yeah, yeah. Kazooie was always really a little fast unstable. and like, spastic, yeah. Laylee is... He can't, she can't go straight. Yeah. Like, like, the flight move... Like, as soon as you start accelerating, she just starts wiggling back and forth, and you can't go anywhere you want to go. It's... it's there's enough to worry about in that game without having to worry about the character not controlling properly. And I feel like they crossed that line a few times with some of the special moves. Okay, questions. I don't have an iPad today. My wife took the iPad. She is on a vacation that I am not on because I don't know what a vacation is anymore. Uh, so I have to, it's a little harder to see our, your questions here. Um, the Legacy asks, do you think the reception of ukulele will discourage other developers to make 3D platformers besides Nintendo with Mario? I think the genre can be successful. The most recent Ratchet and Clank sold more than any other game in the franchise. Uncharted for is, Uncharted is worth forty dollars. The Jack and Daxter collection pre-order perk. 
I guess that wasn't all one question. That was, a, that was quite a run-on <laughs> sentence, I might also add. Yes, I think it will discourage. I mean, I don't think other developers and publishers needed to be discouraged away from this no, genre. No, I don't think they were going to do that. They anymore. weren't going to do it anyway. Do you think Platonic will do another one? Yes, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. Mm. I, Platonic, look, even though they've made a bunch of these games before, they still learned a ton of crap making this game because they've never made a game with a team this size. Even back in the N64 days, their core team still had 20, 25 people on it. So I feel like Platonic learned a lot. It was their first project as their own studio. And in all honesty, an amazing result. Think about what they just did. I mean, a team that small to create a game that looks like a team of a couple hundred made it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening with this game is that people are comparing it to games that are made by teams of 200 people. And uh, when you think about what these guys pulled off with the small team, not that much time either. I think it's really impressive. Also a testament to the middleware that's out there now, obviously. Mm. It's much easier to make games now than it was back then. You don't have to build your own engine anymore from scratch. So um, a combination of their expertise and understanding of the genre and the tools that are available to them is the resulting product that we get there. And I don't think developers or publishers needed to be discouraged away from 3D platformers, although it makes me sad. But I think if any of them were thinking about maybe doing one, no way. Hmm. Uh, I think we're going to have to rely on Nintendo for that stuff going forward. And hopefully Playtonic sticks with it. Um, someone's saying you need something behind you on the <laughs> set. I've been saying that for uh, two years. <laughs> and I've just never put anything back there. Maybe next week. We'll see. <laughs> <coughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, Gerzilla says they're playing Persona 5 and it helps to watch and listen to Daniel Bloodworth play through Earthbound at the same time. Interesting. I also do this while grinding in Mass Effect for a different reason. Do you have games or parts of games where you like to watch, listen to other things as well? I um, think, honestly, if you're talking about Persona 5, it's just Persona 5 because I cannot listen to any of the music in that game ever again. <laughs> they're for the amount of time that you spend playing that game, there they need like another like 500 songs, dude. I am so sick. Well, you'll be able to download a lot of songs from the old games coming up to put into the game for a mere seven, eight. I mean, the, the DLC prices on that game are crazy. A lot of a lot of uh, cosmetic stuff for like seven ninety nine. I so. am so sick of the music in that game. My wife is so sick of the music <laughs> in that game. Like. She has comp actually complained about Persona 5 more than any game she has ever complained about in my entire life of being with her. Wow. She hates in, everything. Should put in Persona 4 and let her hear that music. No, I know. It's she. It's not that the music's bad. It's I just think, repetitive. I think the music's good. Yeah. There's just nowhere... You cannot expect somebody to play a game for 100... And it's 100 hours... To play a game that long and give him, like, five songs. Like, it is. I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. Like, that's how many songs are in that game. It just, it drove me bad. It drove her batty. She's like, I cannot take that song anymore. I, you need to turn it off or you need to put on the headphones. And I was like, I totally get it. I totally understand. Like, I wasn't, didn't push back on it. I was like, I get it. Like, yeah. I, I just think that Persona is a game that you can play while doing just about anything else. Mm -hmm. um, because it's to turn-based. So you're net, you can always, you can take one turn and just walk away and let it sit there. I don't know how much game time I have burned on my game time clock not playing the game. Because I'll just let it sit. I'll just put the controller mm. down and then I'll go do something else and work on something else and then come back and pick it up and just 
like mid battle. I haven't done that with Persona Five, but I have done that. I did do that with Zelda, so I don't really know how long I played Zelda because yeah, yeah. I just leave it forever. I, Some games are smart, and if you're idle, it'll stop counting yeah. it. But I think Persona counts the whole time. I, if I'm doing something mindlessly grindy, I will usually um, I'll put on like uh, like YouTube videos or like science lectures or like. For No Man's Sky, when I was just like grinding for money or whatever, flying, like exploring stuff or digging up resources or whatever, I put on like uh, astronomy lectures. Yeah. Uh, for um, Zelda, when I was looking for Koroks, uh, Korok seeds, I would put on like you know, like some kind of like TED talks or something like stuff like that. Carl Sagan sometimes. <laughs> um, uh. Uh, everything got me putting Alan Watts on sometimes, which is just sort of nice mindless zen blather. There really is no reason to listen to after the first twenty hours. There's no reason to really listen to the audio in Persona Five anymore. Yeah, I mean the voice acting is. You'd miss that endearing voice acting. No, no. Well, it's also like the pacing on it is so slow. It is. Like, Stuff happens at like a glacial yeah. pace. Like, like it real, like things take days in that game. They really feel like they take. They days. take days. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, here we're kind of answering someone else's question right now. Um, oh wait, I just I just lost it. Oh, uh, from F eighteen Master C. How's Persona Five going, guys? I've seen Shane grinding away on PSN. You, I think you just answered your own question. Grinding, grinding away. away. I will say one thing about that game, though. Is it keeps introducing new stuff? Yeah, it never it never stops. No, I'm literally at, literally at like hour one hundred, and it just introduced mm. a new mechanic. It's like that's it was the thing madness. that kind of bugs me about because like at least with three and four, there was a point at which you felt like the game was on. Like it was like okay, everything's been introduced, and I can play now. Yeah, I, Persona Five isn't getting there. It's like, uh, it's madness. Whoever made this game, they're insane. And it's what, making me what, what day are you at? Like, do you, what, I don't even know. Month? Oh. Maybe December? Or... Oh, you're getting close then. Oh, I'm almost to the end. I have to be at the end. I, if I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to make it. I've reached the end of my rope with Persona 5. I just... <sighs> it just... It, look, like I said, it introduces a new mm. mechanic like every 15 hours. It's not like you get one every hour. It's like... You think you get reached the place that you're talking about. You're like, okay, mm. I understand everything now. I know all the systems. I have them all mastered, and then something new comes. Like mm. 15 hours apart, I, it is insane. That game is nuts. Like, I, I, I honestly don't know if I'll be able to finish it. Like, yeah. I also like. I'm, I feel like I reached my. I mean, I'm at like point. I'm 20 almost hours 20 hours in, and I'm like, maybe half the team is assembled. No, well, that, know, it just keeps going. No, they're. Probably not even half as assembled mm. yet, Matt. <laughs> well, I know all the like the cast. Oh, you seen the okay. cast. I was all like, right. I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them. I don't even yeah. know them. I don't. Still going. I cannot imagine what it was like to be the editors who had to review this game on deadline. I cannot. Do you even think they finished it? it? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't want to call anyone a liar. I don't know mm. if they ever said that they finished it or not, but I don't know how they would have done it. I really don't. Like, I mean, literally, I don't know if they had enough hours from the moment Atlas sent out the code to embargo to finish it, period. If they mm. didn't sleep, eat, crap. Because it, it, yeah, presumably they had other tasks yeah, in their lives. Yes, exactly. 
I it boggles my mind to think about it. I I feel like I'm beating myself up playing the game now. And it, again, it's like peaks and valleys. Like you go through like these ten and twelve hour stretches where you just like walk through every battle with like out ever getting hit. And then you get to this dungeon where you walk in and it's just you just get one hit. Or you walk into this dungeon where it's hard again out of nowhere. And a lot of it is like, what personas do you have and attacks mm-hmm. do you have? Do you have anything that's going to drop the enemy? But as you get farther into the game, the enemies don't have as many weak spots that mm-hmm. you can use. So some will have like three different elements that will make them drop. But as you get farther in the game, there's like one. And maybe you don't have the persona that's with that alignment. That, and so you have to actually like fight them, like mm. just hand to hand or whatever. Well, even early on, I ran into a thing where I was like, a bunch, you know, I finished a dungeon, a bunch of story happened, and then they forced me into a mini dungeon where I had to fight a boss. Yeah. And for whatever reason, this boss one shotted three out of the four party members every single time on the first turn. Yep. Even when I defended. Yeah. And I couldn't, and I basically, and I played, had to play that round, and of course, there's nowhere to save. So I had to, you have to fight through all go the through rank like, and file enemies. Well, not even that. You had I had to go through like two days of game story, fast forwarding through everything yep. to get back to it. I had try, I tried it yeah, seven the times. All janky in this game. I tried it seven times. Seventh time I got lucky, and he did not one shot anybody, and I was able to kill him before he could get off like the group attack that he from just out of luck. It was pure luck. But like, there's nowhere I can go to level up. There's no. I didn't have. Any personas that had like you know debuffs that would like lower his attack, there was no way for me to improve my party to handle this situation. It just wasn't there. There was no way out of it, and there, I was like, "That's that, that, terrible that, design." That kind of stuff keeps happening the whole way through, and like it still annoys the crap out of me. For instance, here's a good example. What I figured out, it will not let me craft anymore because it has gated my proficiency. It did not want me. It's like, wait. Oh, yeah, where the cat's like, let's not do that today. Yeah. Like, no, I need lockpicks, you dick. No, nope. like, I, I have been without like... lockpicks for 30 hours now. <laughs> and I have to pass up all these chests. And the chests with the locks have the best weapons. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm just leaving these weapons behind. That is garbage, dude. It has not let me craft a lockpick in over a month. <laughs> it just won't let you. Just like, and don't want to do that today. And for some reason, it's worse that it's the cat not letting you do it. Oh, yeah. In previous games, it was always like you try to do it, and the protagonist would think, like, mm, I shouldn't do that right now. No, now it's and the cat. Somehow Morgana. it's worse when it's like, why does this cat rule my life? Yeah. Like some <laughs> kind of, like, like some kind I mean, of master-slave dichotomy. I don't know. I have spent so much time playing that game, I could do an entire three-hour episode of Game Face just about Persona 5 <laughs> after we've already talked about it three times on the show. I mean, it is just... I've never played a game like it before. I don't know if I ever will again. Um, You play Persona 6. I don't think I will. (laughs) I honestly don't think I will. It's like I've got everything out of this that I can get out of it. And if I knew that the Persona 6 was a lot like Persona 5, which was a lot like Persona 4, I would not play another game in the franchise. I get it. Uh, Looney on the Loose asks, Hey, has your muted enjoyment of ukulele made you worried about Mario Odyssey at all since it seems to be going back to the style of the N64 3D platformer genre? Nope. Uh, yeah, no, because uh, Nintendo don't do that. No, I, no, I have no concerns whatsoever, other no. than like him being in the big city and that being weird. Well, um, you gotta hate on New Donk. 
Yeah. New Donk City. I have no problem hating on New Donk City. Uh, but otherwise, I have no concerns that Nintendo is going to make an excellent. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't think Nintendo will uh, will suffer from the same problems. Their their physics in these games tend to be much more solid. Uh, let's see. We have one more. I can't. Uh, it really sucks using this phone to try to look at questions. Unfortunately. Um. <laughs> Somebody wrote, that's why she went on vacation, Persona 5. <laughs> it may have been the breaking point. She's like, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> and then someone says, the music never gets old. How can you say that? You must have not played it very long. That's all I can say. Because there's no way you can li- anyone, any human being, can listen to the same five songs for 100 hours hmm. and say that's not a problem. Dinky. I believe that qualifies as, like, torture in some third-world countries. DinkyDoo15 asks, Hey, Shane, if you were not in the gaming industry, what other job would you want to do? Sports writer. Working in sports in some capacity. That's definitely. basically the tra- trajectory you were on before you... Before I went into games, yeah. I would work in sports in some way, shape, or form, at least I think. Um, I was never good enough to play them professionally, but uh, I would probably cover them. I would be a journalist no matter what. Mm. Um, if you're saying if I wouldn't be a journalist, what would I do? Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, yeah, once you go to school racer. for something, a street racer, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we established that last week's episode. I would be in the Fast and Furious of a street racer. Uh, I honestly don't know. I mean, I think, you know, when, when you go to college, everyone's confused. They're like, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? And I figured out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And I haven't really thought about doing or being anything else. You know, I wasn't, I'm not a journalist who wants to become a game mm-hmm. developer. I've never wanted to be that. I didn't go into games journalism to get a job at a game developer. Um, And look, I'm not saying everybody does. It goes to work at game development studios. Some people wanted to be a journalist and just decided they wanted to do that more. Mm -hmm. But there are people who become journalists with the sole reason to work in development, which, again, is fine, you know, as long as you're not trying to put on airs like that wasn't your plan all along. So... um, yeah, I mean, I'm doing what I've, I've always wanted to do, and I haven't really thought about doing anything else, so I don't know. <laughs> what about you, Matt? What would you do if you weren't doing this? Um, I don't know. I'd probably, probably film, something film. I mean, when I was in high school, I wanted to be in special effects, but then special effects became computers. Yeah. Um, and the, the appeal to me was kind of the models and the motion control camera stuff and all yeah. that. So that job kind of vanished after Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, and uh, But it would probably be film stuff. Uh, of some nature, which may, you know, could still happen. We'll see. Uh, although, if you do want to hear me talk about movies, uh, I am on this week's Film Threat podcast. That's a big podcast. That's uh, filmthreat.com. It's me and Anthony Bench. Uh, we went to see uh, Fast 8, Fate of, Fu- Fate of the Furious. And so the podcast is us talking about uh, the, Fate of the, the Fast and the Furious series and the uh, Transformers series to some degree. And then we, we go... We stopped the podcast, we went and saw the screening of the movie, we come back and talk about the movie. Um, huge spoilers for all the Fast and the Furious movies, except for, to some degree, eight. Uh, so if you don't want to be spoiled on the entire Fast and the Furious series, don't listen to it. But if you do want to hear me talk about Fast and Furious... Are there really spoilers in those movies? Hey, man, the family goes through some ups and downs through those films, all right? Like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a wild roller coaster ride of emotion. I would agree with that. Um, I'm not going to say what kind of emotion, but... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so Film Threat, you can probably find me on Film Threat talking about movies uh, fairly often from here on out. There you go. Uh, one last question from 
the best username in the room. No offense to anybody else. Sweet Cheeks Magoo. <laughs> I love that name. Uh, do you agree the era of casual gaming is over, i.e. copy and Call of Duty and the Wii? If so, what do you predict will be the next next trend? Uh, if I could predict that, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know what the next trend will be. I don't think the era of casual gaming is over, first of all, because no. I just think a lot of those people that bought the Wii have just moved over to mobile gaming. Mobile yeah. gaming is the new casual gaming. And I don't know if you saw on Sifted this week, but mobile gaming continues to rise mm -hmm. in revenue. While console gaming and the stuff that we like is basically running in place, mobile gaming continues to go up. So um, it's just like the Wii. The Wii was a casual console. It was the best-selling console. Once the casuals get a hold of it, that's when things go nuclear. So... I don't think that casual gaming is over at all. I think it's only going to get bigger. I think we're going to feel like more of the minority as time goes on. For instance, the last time I was home, unfortunately when I had to go home for the funeral with, for my sister and my father, I ran into an old friend who I used to game with, and he was mobiled out. He, had gone, he, he hadn't turned on his consoles in like a year. He was playing like Mobile Strike and all this stuff, and like... I know. I did the same thing. I raised the eyebrow. I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing, bro? And then, like, two of our other friends come over, and they sit down and pull out their phones, and they start playing Mobile Strike against each other. Wow. And I started to get it. I'm like, ah, I see. They're like, oh, yeah, we're in a clan. So, like, all my old friends from central Pennsylvania, who I used to game hardcore game with, are now all playing mobile games in clans together against other clans. And... Sadly, that's just the way it goes for a lot of people. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of people like to just be able to pull out their phone and, like, tap a couple things and be like, I'm a gamer still. Yeah. You I know? just can't... I very rarely find a mobile game that holds my attention like that. I'm playing uh, Transformers Forge to Fight, which is basically a Transformers reskin of that Marvel Contest, Contest of Champions game. And it's fun. You know, it's, it's, it's a fighting game to some degree, uh, which is obviously appealing to me. Um, and it's got Transformers, which I like. But, like... Do I see myself continuing to play it? Like, am I still going to be playing that, like, booting it up regularly a month from now? Probably not, because this is not that compelling. And I don't... Like, I don't... Like, if that was my only game outlet, I'd go crazy. Because yeah. there's just nothing there that... that um, what was it? it was, as, uh, as Roger Ebert put it about the Transformers 2 uh, movie, uh, these people, you know, you deserve films that don't just come up to your toes. Yeah. You deserve stuff that covers you completely. Yeah. And I feel like mo most mobile games are just stuff that, like, you know, it's like dipping your toe in the pool. It's and, bubble gum. And being like, oh, that's cool. That's fun. It tastes good it's for nice. five minutes yeah. and then it's gone. But there's, I mean, and a lot of people don't have the desire to have games that go beyond that, and that's fine. But uh, there's no way mobile gaming is a substitute for, you know, full-fledged console or PC gaming for me. I think for a lot of it's people... Just a, it's a different medium almost It is. And I think for a lot of people... They look at gaming as a way to connect with other people, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with my friends back, we used to yeah, sit sense. side by yeah. side on the couch and play games. But as you get older, one, games get way more complicated. And if you have two kids and a wife and a job and a side job or whatever, which a lot of my friends do, they don't have the time to keep up with it the way they want. Of course, they come to sit Or even kid. time to sit next to each other on a couch. Right. So the way they look at it is, is if this is some way I can keep in touch with my friend who I've been friends mm -hmm. with for like 30 plus years, and this is as good as it gets for this friend, like this is the best he can do. He can play Mobile Strike. He can spend 10 minutes a day, every day on it, but only mm -hmm. 10 minutes, and he can put in his commands and then put it away 
and he still engaged with me, and we have our little chat room in the game that we can chat back and forth, and maybe we don't chat about the game, we chat about a bunch of other stuff, but still we're still connected. I think that's enough for a lot of people, mm-hmm. particularly folks our age that have families and, and a lot of responsibilities. So uh, I don't begrudge anyone who plays mobile games. Obviously, Pactor's a huge mobile gamer. He yeah. loves mobile gaming. But um, it ain't no GoldenEye. No, and it's not. And, you know, I try to convince them. I'm like, it's not the same, you know. It's like, you have your console sitting here. I'll play online with you all the time, man. Like, let's do it. You know what? I've been on your friends list for five years now. And he's just like, but it's like I start thinking about it. I'm like coordinating. And he's like, you're three hours behind me. And he's like, it just seems like a big hassle. And he's like, I can just pull out my phone. And the thing about mobile games that really get it is that there's no time. Time is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's your turn. And then you have, right. you know, it's your turn. It's and like then play you, by email almost. Yeah, it almost kind of is. And I think it works for a lot of people who just don't have a lot of uh, extra time on their hands. So mm-hmm. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. But I understand why all my old gamer friends... So do you play Mobile them. Strike with them? I don't, no. no. No, they try to get me into it. And I was like, I can't. I'm like, I spend every waking hour playing games that our users care about. Like, if I waste my time playing Mobile Strike, that's time I could... I, you know, I wouldn't be able to talk about Mr. Shifty this week if I had... Played mobile strike. That's, that's how I look at it. You know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to budget my time. So, different strokes for different folks. Don't begrudge people because they're different from you. Um, but I think the idea is to just to find like-minded people to surround yourself with, so everyone can enjoy the hobby as much as possible. So, with that, we're out. I hope everybody has a great Easter. I realize a lot of you guys are watching it on Easter morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully, the bunny left you a big old basket full of chocolate and other goodies. Um, you got any plans for Easter, Matt? Nope. Play some games, maybe. Play some games. Maybe I'll drive around and enjoy the fact that like half the people in the city are gone. <laughs> it is kind of nice. There's a lot of people out of town for for the, the holiday weekend. I'm burning my Easter Sunday doing taxes. Nice. I've been working on taxes for four days. Let me tell you, doing taxes for a business is no fun. And I even have an accountant. It's just getting the stuff together to get to the accountant is a freaking nightmare. So, yeah. There goes my Easter. And no candy either. My wife usually gives me a basket of chocolate, and she left before she gave me the basket. So probably good for my waistline anyway. So hope everyone's having a great weekend. Hope everyone has an awesome Easter. Game Face is up and out.